Good morning to most, good afternoon to others, and good evening to the viewing audience across the pond. I'm your host, not Jason Miles. This is M. Toussaint, here for another episode of This is Revolution. If you're new to the channel, please like, subscribe, and if you're enjoying what you see, make sure to hit the notifications bell as we're constantly adding new episodes, doing cross streams with other channels, and adding additional new programming. As you know, this is the Saturday free show. There's no bonus champagne room. It's our way of allowing you guys to get a glimpse of what goes on beyond the velvet rope of TIR VIP. So if you're enjoying what we do here and you want to support us, make sure you like, subscribe, and share. If you have the means, send the super chat and we will definitely read it on air. All of us here at TIR would like to send a big thank you to all the subscribers on all platforms and patrons. Without you, we couldn't do this. So if you'd like to have access to the Champagne Rooms past and present and be part of the virtual live audience for the Pascal Robert-hosted Mau Mau Hour, there's only one way. Become a patron for as little as $3 a month or $30 for the whole year. It can all be yours. If you don't want to be bound by the tyranny of a monthly service and just want to show thanks, drop a super chat or a super thanks. Like and share the videos and the audio podcasts. All of those gestures of gratitude go a mighty long way in keeping us on air and doing what we do. For this special occasion, since Jason is out at his live show, we have a friendly face to host with me. He's not Team Feldman. He's Team Left Flank Vets. He's Marcus. Yo, yo, what's up, what's up, what's up? Emtisan, good to hear you again. And uh, what's up? Welcome this back to Revolution the show. Chat. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. And which we can't, you know, like, we can't do any marathons. Uh, the Buckeyes are on at four. Um, <laughs> so... A hard stop. See, wait, you are Central. Oh, East Coast. Times East Coast. Okay, yeah. Oh no, we'll be done before. <laughs> We've done. <laughs> just. That's true. That's okay. true. Yeah. Um. Okay, so let's bring our guests. It doesn't seem like it's been only. A, it's been nearly a year since the last time our guest was on our show, but. Here we are, ready for a great conversation once again. And that time, Tanya Fields has continued raising her beautiful family while running the Black Joy Farm, Mama Tanya's Kitchen, critiquing Bobby Flay's Chicken, and becoming Rachel Ray's homegirl. Today we bring in Tanya Fields to discuss how she does it all. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Hi. Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you? Awesome. So good to see you again. Thank you. I'm over here struggling. I don't know. My sinuses have been throwing me under the bus lately. So I don't want anybody to think that I like do coke or anything. I don't have any drug <laughs> issues. I am really just struggling to breathe. <laughs> but also, no, no judgment for you know saying <laughs> our, our viewers. Oh, I judge you. I just want to. <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
speak for yourself. I'm touching you. I have. I don't know when that became like recreational again, but like here I am, forty some years old, and I'm sitting somewhere. Like so, I don't been through the iteration of this of of the substance, and then I'm like now all of a sudden I'm in places I'm sitting, and people are, like pulling out. They're like, yo, listen, you know, you want to do a bump? A bump of what? A bump of life? Yeah. I don't do that. Like, <laughs> we're doing this now? Like, I came from a time where, like, only, like, rich financial people, frat boys kind of did that stuff. Now I'm seeing it in the hood. It's very accessible. You know, when I was, like, in my 20s and my teens, it was very expensive. It is, it is like buying an eighth now. I'm like, wow. It's, 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 yeah. You're kind of selling it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's making you feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> I didn't mean to, my bad. <laughs> I think I'm just very good at what I do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the bad stuff sound good, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, other than that, okay, because I don't, don't think you're growing that stuff at the farm. Um, which I don't know, empty how We should have maybe done this. A little bit in the background, but how do you want to do this? Do you want to ask your questions, or am I, mm-hmm. you know, want me to just go into it? What's up? What's up? What's up? It's okay. I'm gonna ask my question to kick it off. Okay. And then I think you can jump in with yours because it's broad enough. Word. All right. So, question number one: How does a black woman from Harlem become a farmer in the South Bronx? <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't know. I think there there are lots of folks from everywhere who have, you know, I, I feel like urban farming, like really had its heyday, probably like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody was doing it, right. But I think for, you know, I think for us, um, and us, I mean, like, black people in New York, right. Uh, and at that time, when I got into this, I was relatively young. I mean, I think I'm still young now. <laughs> you never gonna get me to be like 43 years old. But I know some of the younger kids, they start calling me auntie now. They be telling me I'm old. Somebody called me a boomer a couple months ago. I was like, y'all really have to read more. (laughs) You got to understand history. I am not a boomer. But I think when I was doing this, I was young. And we were really getting into this as a way to, like, really, you know, like, as a radical way to try to reclaim, right? Um, Or... um, sort of illustrate, demonstrate our stake in communities where, honestly, truly, we didn't have any financial stakes. Our names are not on any deeds. We don't, we don't own no land. We don't own no buildings. We're not, hold, you know, we're not holding on to property. But we're seeing people who do not look like us, who do not have our best interests at heart, who do not care about us, who are continuing to help perpetuate and be complicit in cycles of deprivation and economic injustice, owning these things in our community. So I started doing stuff like liberating the land. The police called it trespassing. Whatever. Like tomato. (laughs) So I'm out there like with my kids, you know, seed bombing, you know, clipping locks on lots that have been just eyesores, places that help to facilitate some of the worst pathologies in our communities for 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. And if that's not happening, what we're getting are 
folks coming into the community under the guise of like, you know what I mean, 8020 um affordable housing programs for anybody who doesn't know what 8020 affordable housing is. It is where developers are going to get money for affordable housing. 80% of it is going to be market rate. 20% of it is going to be affordable housing. Although in New York City, what is affordable housing? Because it seems to be a very large disconnect between those of us who are the ones who need to afford it and those of us who are actually managing the programs that get to determine what affordable looks like. So for the longest time here in the Bronx, we're getting affordable housing programs, right? Where I'm living in the poorest congressional district in the country and affordable housing for one bedroom 10, 12 years ago was starting at like $2,100. They're putting the average means of income, they're including Westchester County, right? In some of the, mm. in some of these, in some of these determinations. And so they're saying that affordable housing is starting at 55, 60, 65, 75. You lived in Brooklyn. Some of the affordable housing started at like $80,000 a year. Okay? Okay? Because this is not like, <laughs> we're not speaking the same language, right? Um, and so for us, when we got involved in this, and again, by, somebody put us question mark. I, I feel like I was clear, but let me say it again. Us being like young Black people who are really now starting to understand how systems of oppression and exclusion and disenfranchisement work in real time. I think that coming to like urban farming was our way of one on the hippy dippy side, it being like very therapeutic, right? That like mm -hmm. science has literally told us that there are chemicals in the soil that if you touch them and they get on your body, they can help reset your nervous system. And if I, you know, I could actually look up what those things are, but Google it. I'm not lying to you. I'm not gonna do all that right now. <laughs> but I told you. And then, <laughs> and then the other piece was like, how do we radicalize this in such a way that we now are talking about the politics, not just of food, but we're talking about the politics of land sovereignty and land back. We are talking about the ways in which indigenous people have been disconnected from this land violently, right? And the ways in which black people have tilled this land violently, right? Um, and then what is owed to us, because I am a proponent of reparations quite unapologetically. And I'm not arguing with nobody about that. It, it is what it is. If we're going to use the purview of capitalism, America owes us. I, was about to, I, don't, I don't know what the, I don't remember what, how y'all felt about cursing on this program. So I'm going to try to keep it clean. No, you can curse. Dirty. I'm, I'm going to curse. <laughs> dirty like early 2000s, Extina Aguilera. That's how dirty my mouth is. <laughs> but America fucking owes us. It owes us big time. So for a lot of us, getting access to spaces in our community that were underutilized, creating spaces in our community, unpoliced, green spaces, politicized growing spaces was very important also as a form of reparations. Uh, and I'll add some kind of like some uh, clarifications. Cause when you say things of just like seed bombing, mm. um, Actually, I want to do right. When you actually say do us, it was like, and now, like, are you, did, were you already in some type of organized group? Was this like you and your friends, you and your neighbors who you were cool with, you and your neighbors who you weren't cool with, that you all just had to understand and you had to fix, you know, the area? And, and like you said, of like going from, oh, hey, you know, we were just doing something in our community, you know, some cops call that trespassing, you know, 
in my opinion, this is where, you know, radicalism comes into the day to day of of choosing to say, no, I'm just going to clean this up, even though it's my property. It's not, quote unquote, our property. But y'all are the ones that live there that have to deal with it, walk by it every day and see it go do nothing on it, you know. So if you can kind of yeah fill that in and also yeah like what do you mean by seed bombing and even to the like the beginning steps of like urban farming. So seed bombing, which I, I'm not a I'm not a great fan of. I don't, I don't really like the term um, because words mean things, right? And words a lot of times are going to reflect back to you the priorities of your of the of the society that you live in. If you out here planting seeds, you're not bombing anything. Bombing is violence, right? Bombing is war. Bombing, bombing is injustice and death. So how, you know, so like even stuff like that, you know, I was thinking about when we were doing this stuff. I was like, I'm not really seed bombing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't know if we can call it something else, yeah. but the, 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 the term, I, I say that to say like, because I sometimes I really do like to get into the weeds and the minutiae. I like for us to always be reflective and thinking about um, the ways in, 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 in which we represent things, right? And even like American society is so damn violent. It is so baked into everything. It is so normalized, right? It is so like in, entrenched in the things that we do that even the things that are about justice, right? And equality and peace don't come off that way, right? But the term seed bombing really is about like taking these little like, you know, like you take like uh, different seeds and stuff and you cake it together with like dirt and mulch or compost. They like are little balls. And the idea is that you can walk past the place and just launch those motherfuckers over a gate or whatever, and then nature is going to do what nature is going to do, right? And in a couple of weeks, it's going to germinate, and you're going to get wildflowers or perennials. Perennials are a type of plant that you have to replant every year. Annuals are types of plants that you only have to plant once a year, and they keep coming back. Um, or cover crop, right? And cover crops are about plants like clover, rye, things of that nature that are going to help to remediate the soil. Um, because a lot of us do not realize that we are living in communities where the soil has been poisoned because we are also living in communities that are suffering from deep um, injustice from racist and classist and violent, um, unsustainable like environmental policies, right? I live in what is now the 15th congressional district of the United States of America. Well, you know, um, Richie Zionist Torres is our congressperson. Yeah, yeah. And while he's out here, and while he is out here, you know, and participating in Islamophobia and taking money from APAC to be a puppet, he also needs to contend with the fact that we live in a community where we get 16,000 diesel truck trips every day, every day. And that statistic is from like 10 years ago. And they've actually expanded the highways that cut through the Bronx. And there are so many of them that cut through the Bronx. So 16,000 a day may not even be accurate. We may be looking at more like 18 or 20,000 diesel truck trips every day, not every week, not every month, not every year. Every day, people in this community are exposed to the environmental impact of 18,000 or 16,000 diesel 
trucks, fossil fuel, and all of its particulate matter, and its noise pollution, and how it messes up traffic patterns, and blah, 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 right, come through our community. And we also are a community that is a waterfront community. And now, just like we said, we spent all this time cleaning up the waterfront, and what's happening? Gentrification, lots of it. So this waterfront that we fought for now has Fresh Direct on it, now has Amazon on it, and now is getting luxury apartments, little rooms with floor-to-floor ceilings, That's a, but it's the size of a closet, and all of these amenities that you're never really going to be able to afford because your ass has to work 55 hours a week to afford that $3,000 rent for a studio apartment. In a community, yes, that sits on the waterfront, but it's still around the corner from many harm reduction programs. It's still around the corner in a community that has the highest concentration of uh, public housing um, uh, uh, networks. So this is these are some of the things that we have to contend with. What does the environmental impact of that look like? Well, it looks like my children right i have six of them they're amazing right and statistically one out of four people in this community or two out of four people in this community will end up with persistent you know they will end up with moderate to persistent asthma or some sort of respiratory Mm -hmm. illness i have two children who have serious respiratory illnesses um which and 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 this is where when people and especially things like covid Mm-hmm. And you see, like, oh well, how how do these things how do these things just affect black people, or how do they just affect poor people more? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't you know, like. Mm-hmm. It's like hard for people to under get to get from A to B of like how does these systemic failures actually go from grand into the you know the aggregate of each individual, and this is how. When you have communities that are subject to toxins every day that poison their lungs, and then you've got a respiratory illness that affects the world, that community gets hit harder. You know, when they talk about, oh, hey, no, kids, they barely die. Kids barely die from COVID. But whose kids are going to end up dying? It's the kids that have been dealing with chronic asthma, asthma, you know, their entire lives and all this types of stuff. And this plays out in a million other ways within the community. Um, or any, you know, any community that's subject to that. And honestly, it's, a lot of what you're saying kind of reminds me of uh, a different house member, Rashida Tlaib, talking about her district in, De- in Detroit and the amount of industry that poisons the community that directly relates to illness, child, you know, like childhood illness. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, it takes you 20, 30 years and then you get a cancer when you're 60. No, kids are getting poisoned today, right now. Um, so I guess too, is like, how, how does urban farming, you know, or at least in also too, like, like making more of a green, <laughs> greening of the city. I mean, like out of some of the things that you're doing, you know, how can that help reverse what's happening? It's not going to help reverse what's happening. Let's, 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 you know, as I, I say, probably on a weekly basis, be fucking for real. Like, yeah. Let's be fucking for real here. Like the reality is that the level of urban farming, the scale of which we've been needed in this city to undo the environmental impacts that we are seeing right now, um, it's just not going to happen, right? It will require for us to be, we would just, we would need to be a different city 
in order for that to happen. We would need to be a city that like other urban other urban places in different parts of the world, right? That have more homogenized, <laughs> more homogenized uh, populations, right? Places, Finland, you know, Sweden, certain places in Germany, where they are looking at how do you, how do you just have sustainability in the policies of what you do? We're gonna have a building, we're gonna put a building here. What does it look like to have a green wall? What does it look like to have just white roofs and green roofs, right, in communities, right? Like how, how, like making sure that we are investing in the creation, uh, like, of architects and architectural firms that have a deeper understanding of what, you know, like radical alternative growing in urban areas look like, right? Like even down to, I feel like last time I was here, we talked about this a little bit, like even down to like, what are like, how are we building roads, right? New York has an awful infrastructural problem, right? We were, if it rains, more than an inch, we're all swimming in this hoe. We need to turn into motherfucking Aquaman. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's true. It's true. Because of these storms. Yeah. These storms are getting worse, too. Cars are just floating on down Broadway and Bushwick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, actually, the one area that always is okay is the Bronx. (laughs) For whatever reason. But other parts of Manhattan, Brooklyn, the, the 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 parkways up here in the Bronx. I was trapped last month, right, or two months ago when we got that storm because mm-hmm. the parkways just become pools, right? And yeah. then they take sort of like they have to be pumped or they take several days to drain off because somebody is probably getting really rich, continuing to lobby for materials to build roadways with that do not take stormwater management into account. We can create roadways that are more porous, right? So when we get a lot of rainfall, right, being a coastal city, then that just kind of sort of slowly seeps through and then ends up in our waterbed. But that's not what's happening. It's like for the last, like we've known this, we've known this for a long time, for like 30 years. And for whatever reason, New York City is like, okay, so y'all bitches will just swim. It's not that bad. And it's, it's like, <laughs> it's like the portions of like New York City that's like constantly getting like having water pumped out of it, or it would just like pretty much flood naturally on its own if you just didn't pump water out. Right. Um, so I guess then, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, because like 100% you're, you're, you're correct. You know, it's like you, in, in this scenario, I guess it's like even what y'all are doing is, is, like the lowest form would be like kind of the lowest form of governance in this new New York city scenario that you're kind of laying out of like what would become. Right. Um, so I, I, uh, I do. Yeah. This is like the next question is like, it's like, what is the capabilities, right. Of, you know, like you've got, you know, an urban farm. What does that mean in a real sense of, how much of how much people in the neighborhood can you know a certain amount of f- urban farming and also what does that look like are you you know is, is, are people growing stuff on their windowsills and everything else you know like wh- how how much food can be produced how much you know i guess outside you know paying a, you know going to grocery stores and paying out can be alleviated with uh you know your your type of processes i think it 
urban farms, growing spaces, community gardens, window seal, uh, you know, herbal gardens, rooftop farms, rooftop gardens. I think all of that is possible. But I think what it requires is that we see that these, we value these things, we see them as important. And that requires a shift in the way that we look at the process that brings us there, right? Um, I think very much growing in food is still looked at in many ways as peasantry. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, it's not looked at as something that we do in order to live, right? It's looked at as something that only the poorest of us have to do if they want to live, right? And we keep trying to find these really like fancy, gourmet style ways of dressing it up right and it makes it so much more difficult in that way for everyone the producers the consumers the eaters right so now like instead of it just having instead of us just having policies and a way of life because also that's the thing too like how much of life needs to be a goddamn policy like when does some of this stuff for us just become like common sense we need to shift the way that we are living if as a species we live in a time in a society where having access to the ability to grow some type of food right was looked at as like an inherent human right right it's just accessible it is just something that we need the same way whales need water folks just need to be ha need to have the ability to have unfettered access to land for the purposes of recreation and growing food and congregation all of those things have now become commodified so now you need a csa now we need a grant to to create a uh uh, a, a playground or something like all of these things become like I as a person who runs a nonprofit still understand how problematic it is that we think that nonprofits are supposedly supposed to come in and undo you know what I mean decades sometimes hundreds of years of of inequality with four hundred thousand dollars a year five hundred thousand dollars a year a million dollars a year three million dollars a year I mean, we're just, we're at this point, like we're spinning our wheels. It's like, I have, I got, you know, like I've been shot with a sawed off and Marcus, you're like, here, girl, here's, here's, here's some gauze, girl. Just put that right there. Yeah. Here's, here's, a little, here's a little gauze tape. Put that right there. In the meantime, like all, I'm like, I'm bleeding out. I'm like, I need, I need something different. I need surgery. You're like, no, no, girl. Here's some gauze. That's what you need. Yeah. You know, like we just, we like, and I feel like right now we are at this very critical moment in our, like in our society, like globally, not just our society. That that would be remiss to say. Globally, I think that we are at a really, we are at a critical crossroads, right? And I think that that has been happening since COVID, before COVID. COVID was the pregame. And I think we missed an opportunity. <laughs> some of us were talking yeah. about it. Some of yeah. us, like in the parking lot with the barbecues, like, all right, y'all, let's get ready for this revolution, right? We had the playlist, the boom box, all of that. And then, I don't know, it fell a little short. Yeah, go back to work. Yeah, now we're looking at multiple genocides happening all over the world. And there are young people who are really, and I, you know, I'm watching some of the older folks be kind of like, um, um, you know, be smug, you know, like, but this has been happening for decades. Well, they didn't know. 
And there's a problem with the fact that they didn't know. Like we, like that in and of itself is telling. But the point is that they know now, and folks are mad as hell. But I'm wondering, we're mad as hell now. What? Yeah. The critical part that we are at is the that, that we are at is the now what? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us, including myself, are terrified of what it. Can you turn that down? A lot of us are terrified. Sorry, I saw our children. Um, <laughs> a lot of us are really terrified at what the now what might look like. What does the now what mean for us individually? Because even those of us who couldn't talk this shit about collectivity, none of us are untouched by the being conditioned in societies that value hyper-independence. The way that we are wired as human beings, absolutely, we think about self-preservation. Most species that want to continue on do. And if they're not given the means to self-preservation, then they don't continue to exist anymore. We have got to rethink what self-preservation looks like, right? While also rethinking what individuality, where is what is the expansiveness of that? How do we make space for individuality while also understanding that we are part of a collective and that the collective is what keeps us persisting as a species? Um, I don't even remember where I'm going with that, but I'm going to stop there. So. Well, no, I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I, and like, that's like what, something that, you know, especially too, is like on a show called This is Revolution, you know, like what is what does it look like is yeah you know it's like it's that's that's the thing at least realistically that i don't think like gets talked about too much i think there's reasons for it you know i mean like the fact that like they you know they they murder they they imprison you know they'll you know kick people out of the country that actually can drive you know they start driving systemic changes and everything like that um but at the end of the day you know i the thing where it's like where I do like where I see things like urban farming, where I see things that like you know, uh, um, like getting into what is it, uh, tenants unions, trying to get into housing co-op. You know, there are systems or at least ways there are programs that you can get groups of people to start stripping out of just this bloodlust capitalism. Um, because it's killing us and like us as in like every single thing, like we're killing everything if we continue on in this manner. And, and that's where it's like, mainly we're killing ourselves. That's the gag. That's the gag. This is what I'm looking at human beings like y'all, y'all motherfuckers are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to die before everybody else. Okay. So yeah. maybe we take some caribou with us. The dodo bird's been gone for a good long while. We definitely gonna take some of these species with us. But Mother Earth is literally like, okay, girl, go ahead. To alligators and sharks, they're like, oh my god. But that's also the thing too. Like the, I, I know this is gonna sound nuts, but like, <laughs> the animals are starting to fight back. Elephants <laughs> are showing out. Like how you kill orcas. A- show up at her funeral and then stomp the bitch again like what like how are whales getting together like yo 
my nigga, there is a whole nother boat coming down here. Gang, gang. The whales are like, hootie hoo, and then they're all showing up to fuck up shit with you this morning. Like, monkeys are, like, jumping out of trees and stealing babies. Like, did you hear about that? Like, I don't know if it was India or someplace in Africa, but, like, the monkey jumped down, took the baby, killed the baby. I was like, this is nuts, right? But there were also the part of me, maybe the tin hat part of me, but also I'm like, I'm just looking at what's in front of me that is saying maybe the ecological system is getting together and it's finally is like, you motherfuckers are the problem, y'all. And y'all about to fuck it up for everybody else, right? And so ecosystem is doing what ecosystems do. It is saying there is a thing that is throwing us out of whack. We can get together and figure out how to get rid of or mitigate that thing. I mean, that's where the, like, especially when it comes to the wildfires, the storms, the fact that, like, because, like, that's where it's, like, I remember there used to be this thing called winter, and it was this time of year, <laughs> right? Talk where it was, about it. It was cold for, like, months straight, not a hot day in sight, and that yeah. doesn't happen anymore. There right? was stuff called snow yeah. on the ground. Like, for months, it was on the ground. Yeah. Didn't did, like it and that's just not a thing. That's just not a thing anymore. Yeah, I was walking around in New York yesterday at almost like we're in, we're I can say we're safely in the middle of November, right? Oh yeah. Right, it's yeah. the 18th. This is legitimately actually yeah. actually the middle of November. I had no coat on. Yeah. We're walking around, people just got their babies and strollers. Everybody loves it though, right? It's like, oh my god, today's so nice. Right. I'm like, okay, okay, 15 yeah. years. <laughs> but yeah. We can't go outside between the hours of six to six from six a.m. to six p.m. because the sun is so hot that your ass is gonna melt when well, we've had to become mole people to try to, <laughs> you know what I mean? to try to survive how hot it is when the waters have dried up, when people have been displaced because there is no like actual like because there's no arable soil, because there's no potable water. Won't seem so fun then, but go ahead, girl, go off. Enjoy your 60 degree November. I just doesn't make any sense how in a society that very much has normalized. I yeah. think it's normalized several things. To go off on another digression, as I so love to do, me and my ADHD brain. We have normalized not questioning things. I mean, this may sound like a sort of classes, maybe bougie thing to say, but I I do really believe that Americans are like collectively, we are stupid. I oh yeah, we oh, are I a say, dumb society. I was saying and, that earlier today, and we and we like we like we like wrong and strong with it, like with it oh, too. Oh yeah, we like that's right. Aggressively like, stupid. Like like yeah. you know like if you look at the last thirty years, right? The political machine, especially right wing, like extreme right wing conservatives, have literally made intellectualism be like yeah. a pejorative, mm-hmm. and I get it. There is a part of, nobody's going to convince me. Y'all can say it's not true. That's great. But I said what I said. I think that we're a dumb society. And I'm talking about collectively. Do we not have very brilliant and smart people? Yes. But how many other brilliant and smart people get caught up in these intersections that don't allow them to ever access any of the things that would encourage them? Y'all think only like, you like, when we look at what, 
what is held up as brilliance, when we look at what is held up as intelligent, it is very heteronormative, it is very, uh, it is very gendered, it is very racialized, and that is all very intentional. And then what happens is we have these political machines, right, run by people who want to continue to expand and maintain power that have us believing that being questioning, right, that being a society that listens, that using words, right, and, and really parsing things out, becoming a so slower society that really is about questioning and, and, and analyzing, that is something that we've branded intellectualism as classism. It's very weird, right? Like those of us who actually talk about what classism looks like and all of those intersections that I just mentioned, how those things are used to maintain a certain type of status quo, yeah. right? When we talk about that classism, we're being told y'all just don't bootstrap enough. Y'all always trying to play race card. Women just aren't as smart as men naturally. That's nature. Ha ha. Suck it, bitches. Like that is the kind of thing that we get. And then on the flip side of that, like in the upside down, then you have people who have benefited from those systems where mediocrity can become the standard so long as you fit a certain classification that then say things like, I don't know being able to part like being able to look at things and understand them right having community spaces that are about questioning investing in like uh a more just and equal like education system dismantling what we think is a public education system and doing something differently i don't know reading right like <laughs> we have some of the worst reading yeah. rates no, like, and, the, and the it's, I, I think that's like, because this is like something that it's like you're pointing at to. It's like, it's just like, this has been a, an accorded attack in multiple avenues on academia and within, and just understanding too, it's like under capitalism, academics has been become a, a corrupt business, you know, and it's like you, there's student debt for a reason, you know, not to say that's like, oh God, Dante, I'm not going to do the right wing trash, you know, like universities and shit. I went, you know, I, I reference and like think on like the things that I learned in my political science, you know, <laughs> studies and shit quite often, but it's like, and now I understand like the gaps that are not given in a lot of these places. But at the end of the day, like you're saying, is like, there are Harvard graduates that go on Fox news and tell people to not go to these liberal elite colleges. Ted Cruz went to Yale and tells talks of anti do not like anti-elite liberal blah blah colleges and shit and like that. that Ted Cruz is not academically Yale material, but why does Ted Cruz get to go to Yale? Mm. That's a good question. That's a good question. We know the Robin, answer. We don't even need. We were it. It in the State Department. <laughs> It was rhetorical. I wasn't really. I don't want you to. I don't want you to respond, Marcus. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but that's the thing is that like it's it's it is something that has been ingrained. It's something that's fostered, and and honestly too, it's like we're like right now, like the Republicans, especially when you talk the federal, like across the board, they're like, oh shit, like these motherfuckers are getting out of hand. They don't know what to do to themselves. Have you know, have them with, oh, I hate Trump, he's so mean and stuff like that. It was like, this is what you fostered. This is exactly the shit that you fostered. But uh I mean shit. At the end of the fucking day, you know, I know I feel like I understand what you're saying. Like I agree. Um 
But no, that's I don't know. That's 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 why you know I guess too is like what's important is to be able to you know like organize amongst like-minded people and try and at least do something like for yourselves to to start being coming able to out organize of it. amongst like-minded people is important, but it also creates echo chambers. I think yeah. there's also about understanding that when people are like-minded, there is a way that w- we can engage that doesn't lead to the Hunger Games, right? Yeah. And I feel like now part of living in society is that we don't even have the forget be like can we? We don't even have the skill set to be able to and that's what I'm saying when I talk about intellect. Like, that's what I'm saying when I say that, like, there is a certain, there is a, sh- there's a shift that happened that made intellectualism a bad word. And I understand that in there, there is a, there is, there is a system, like, there is a system even in scholarship. There is a system even in intellectualism that has been used oppressively. But that is a reflection of society. That's not because by its very nature it is. You understand? And I think that gets conflated, and intentionally so. Intellectualism is inherently bad, right? Intellectualism can be broad, right? We, intellectualism doesn't just mean I can write a paper, I can get a book published. Do I have emotional intelligence? Which is something that I think a lot of us, right? And I speak very much from an American lens. I'm not going to sit here and act like I've traveled all over the world, that I'm this bougie bitch that has lived in several societies. I'm American. Allegedly. Unfortunately. Right? And so, <laughs> you know, and so what happens is we become a society that doesn't even know how to participate in generative conflict. Look at the state of our government right now. I mean, look at the clowns in the circus, honey. Like, I I wake up in the morning, I turn on CNN, I go to C-SPAN, I do all of this stuff that just makes me fucking angry before 7.30, right? Just to get a gauge. But I also look at it with a very critical eye, knowing that I am getting a fabricated, I mean, like, um, a very intentional very sort of very one-sided version of very American centered and centric version of what's happening in the world. Right. And that's something. Yeah. Cause in like the thing that's amazing where, and that's where it's like people get it, but they don't, they don't get it. It's kind of like people understand, like they can see all the dots, but they don't, you know, like not connect them. Cause it's like, you ask any American, do you trust your politicians? They'll say no. You ask any American, do you think these politicians are bought and paid for by big businesses? They'll say yes. Most Americans get that. Mm-hmm. But then it comes to, do, do, like, do you trust? Like, there's, like, then the trust becomes just like automatically given over to these people that are no corrupt for everything in our lives. Everything around us are made by decisions, or you know, these are decisions made made by people who most people get that they 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 don't give a shit but we still give it up to them because there's a group that could say no the blue side is bad and the other group is the red side is bad and obviously like you've got also, straight up fascists also, in the republicans you know what I'm saying? But, it very difficult to participate yeah that's and that, the other thing i never want for us to get away from like yes there is a what we do but i think it always needs to be couched 
in understanding the system. Yes. Right. Yeah. And no, and this is where like 100% of like the United States government in and of itself was designed for white land owning males. It has never been changed into something different. It's just been chipped away at to where there's been more access given to more communities. But mm-hmm. we're still dealing with the remnants of the initial creation, and we still haven't changed it in essential ways to actually make life, you know, like you were just saying, like where we we live as a real society, as an organism that is a part of a collective thing that if we don't, like, like we're killing ourselves. We're killing our ability to live on this planet. And without that recognition, without the recognition that everybody can eat, everybody should eat, and the denial of everybody eating, housed, healthcare, educated, all those things, it's only going to create, generate more conflict. Like, we're never going to get over it. And like, I guess, yeah, now we're at the same point of like, all right, well, what do we got to do? to jump, you know, to break the cycle and move on, you know, I don't know. I don't know either. So I'm, I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is here ranted. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. that we could know, I think that, but I think that, that requires a, that requires a hell of an imagination. It requires not only a hell of an imagination, it also requires us to get a better understanding of what it was that we were doing before and how we could expand that without trying to expand empire. Yeah. Right? And I think it requires us to look at what does decentralizing look like? And for me, as a Black woman, as a Black queer woman, decentralization scares the shit out of me. Because I also just don't have a lot of faith in humanity in a lot of ways, right? Um, Or certain parts of humanity. I don't know. I am very sort of, I am, I am very sort of, I don't want to use the word schizophrenic because that's kind of ableist, but at a, hyper hyper cautious. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, for me, it is very like, there is this spectrum that I go along where I'm at either end of it, where I'm like, I also like have, I love humanity. I do. I, I, in my heart, I am very, I am very hippie. Like since I was a kid, you know, like I am the kind of person that gets very emotional at the, the ability and the, and the, the expansiveness that we as human beings uh, the things that we can create for one another and each other, the beauty in, in the ways in which we come together, right? Like I've seen some of the best parts of human being. And then I am living under systems that are a constant reminder of the very worst part of being human beings, right? Like we are literally trying to equivocate whether or not 11,000 people, 12,000 people deserve to die so that somebody else can have an ethno, like an ethno state for the safety of another group of people. There are people all across the world who deserve safety. Does that safety have to come at the demise of other groups of people? Well, if we're looking at it from a historical standpoint, history would tell us a lot of times it does. Somebody else's safety comes 
at the death, destruction, and violence of somebody else. And until we can learn what it is about the human condition that we need to evaluate and purge and expand, then society doesn't change. Like that's the gag. That systems and the complicity of those systems is also reflective of what it is that we need to collectively purge from the human psyche because we're seeing it all over. And there are certain mechanisms that, that are being used to appeal to a certain sense in another group of people, whether it is the, the hoarding, uh, expansion, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever, the hoarding and expansion of resources, whether it is the idea of uh, a, a more convenience and ease, all of these things. And so then we start to create hierarchies amongst ourselves that help us justify and dehumanize another set of people to justify our extermination of those people. I just, I just, I just, I am holding on with the skin of my grills. I am holding on to this belief. <laughs> that human beings can be better than this. And maybe that is naive, but is the only thing that keeps me from taking myself out of this world, if I'm going to be completely and utterly candid. Because sometimes the, it is so deeply overwhelming. Oh yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't think, especially with like what you're saying with, um... I I I don't know that um I I think like there's been anything as horrible as 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 watching like hundreds and hundreds of kids get dragged out of rubble on a little screen and then you hear fucking Biden say, "Oh, well we can't believe these numbers." And I was at this, I was at, at, at one of these protests and one of the speakers, it said something that like broke me because not only are they just indiscriminately killing and bombing people, but then you, then they're denied death. They're denied the ability to be counted as dead. Mm-hmm. And it's like a dehumanizing to 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 a point that like it and i agree yeah i i think it is it is um and especially within the united states and some of these like these very just bloodthirsty people um i don't know you know and then like for me i i see how easy it is to get there because there's a part of me that's like well we just need to get rid of them motherfuckers but I'm like, okay, but wait, Tanya. Yeah. <laughs> a fallacy here. You about to yeah. go down the same road these people going down. You may think that your reasoning is just as intentional. So that's why I say, like, I think that as human beings, we don't even really understand what it means to be human. And we think that this understanding of like human psychology, our nervous system, what makes us tick as a species, all of those things um, is... We think that's womp womp. We think that's whack. Like, you know, the, the bigger fish is like success and empire and expansion. Yeah. Well, do you know what cancer is? Cancer is growth that will not be stopped until it kills the host. 
and human beings are showing up like cancer. Yeah. Growth is not always a great thing. Expansion is not always a great thing. You know, I, I think about this too in the context of technology because technology does not come without like its pitfalls as well. Right. We have had what is like, there are children in mines in Sudan right now so that you and I and M. Tucson and all of these people in the chat can be connected right now. And we all think that this is a really wonderful thing, but if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about it. If we're going to get into the depth of it, let's get real deep. The ability for us to sit here and wax poetic right now is coming at the expense of some poor child who was born into generational poverty and a war-torn country in a fucking mine wearing nothing but a pair of pants, and that's it. In the name of technology, in the name that these technologies be accessible. So when I say that we really don't, like many of us are walking around not really understanding the depths of a thing, understanding like, you know what I mean? Like intersections of it and what that looks like outside of our own little bubble. And I'm talking about even people who are doing like social justice movement work. What I'm saying is that equality requires that we move 6128, tell them 6128. You got it, baby? Sorry, my my uh, my Uber Eats came, and because so much of my shit has been stolen <laughs> by hungry food workers, now I have it so that like I have to like give the people a code so that they can deliver me my food. But even that, even that, even the fact that I can sit here and talk to you on this screen from people all over the world and get an Uber Eats order from Dunkin' Donuts that's up the block that my black ass could walk there in 10 minutes. <laughs> that man did not need to get on a bike and bring this to me. Like, we have to understand that so many of these systems require complicity and that radicalization and revolution. And this is, you know, like when people start throwing around, I'd be like, ah, 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 you ready to have this conversation? Yeah. Because that right. means that for, for the revolution, right, in order for things to be radical, Empire ain't just going, we ain't going to just sit around and have a conference and the Empire can be like, oh, you know what, Marcus, Tanya, Timothy, violin, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, well, now that I think about it, you're right. You think about it, y'all, hey, 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 listen, we changing some shit over here. I don't have a phone call with these people. We had a Zoom chat and we've been wilding, y'all. No, Empire's not giving up like that. Yeah. Empire bombed a whole block of black people in Philadelphia because they were weird to maintain power structure and then threw the remaining people who lived in jail for 20 something years empire is telling you in your face while we are looking at people dig their children out with their hands literal hands a helmet a flashlight and your bare hands pulling dead children out of rubble they are telling you this is a complicated situation, y'all. This is complicated. <laughs> and it is us sitting around knowing in our hearts that it is wrong, but no, like feeling like we ain't got no means to fight back. Knowing that fighting back means that another bomb could be dropped right on your block. 
knowing that fighting back may be that you are the body that is now put in jail for 20 something years. And from a historical standpoint, we've seen that happen. We're still watching it happen and moving us closer to whatever our idea of liberation has been, has been so incremental that for many of us, we just don't feel like it's worth it in regards to our own self-preservation. I mean, let's really talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let's really be honest about it. If somebody called me tomorrow, like, girl, we getting together, we gonna form a militia. Hey, 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 get off my heavily monitored ass phone with this. I know, right? <laughs> what the fuck is you talking about? Girl, you trying to get me caught up about these things? Yeah. Because for me as a black mother who understands just how many black mothers have been put in the grave, just how many of our children have been put in the grave, those 4,000 children who have died in Gaza, whose names we do not know. And in five years, did they really exist? In five years, did they really exist? I was at a Nigerian wedding last night and I'm looking at pictures of babies, dead babies on my phone. And my partner says to me, girl, we're at a party. And I was like, okay, and these kids are still dying. And if there is not one thing I can do, I can bear witness to the fact that this child exists. I want to watch this child's dead, limp body for as long as I can so that it is seared into my brain as a mother that this child existed. So that in five years, I will remember that little girl who had a fifth, uh, a five-year birthday party in a refugee camp. And then two days later, her and her mother were killed in an airstrike. I need to remember her. I must tell my children about her every birthday that they have. Because I am complicit as an American. And there's no way for me to get away from that, even as being a part of a marginalized group. And we should all be fucking mad and we should all be willing to fight. And we should be brave enough to know that maybe I'm going to be just like that little girl. So that in 20 years, there are not more little girls like that. But the reality is that there are people who have done that and 20 years later, there are still little girls just like that. And the weight of that will crush you. It will pulverize you. It will disrupt your nervous system so much that we are walking around in functioning depression and we don't even know it. I am living in a city that is a tinderbox. We are ready to murder each other here. We are murdering each other. So the only thing that I can do back to your original question is going to this little 5,400 lot in the middle of this tinderbox and plant a fucking plum tree grow a cucumber, harvest a pumpkin. It is the only thing that keeps me from jumping in front of a train. And so that becomes, I think, the question that so many of us have been trying to answer because here's the other thing. Our suffering is not unique. I read enough, I'm enough of a novice student of history to know that the very thing that I am going through in this moment, this, 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 this crisis that I feel on a spiritual level, right, as a part of humanity, somebody wrote about this 100 years ago under some different circumstances. Maybe we didn't have giant bombs. Maybe we were, kill, we were killing each other with some other shit. We've been trying to, I think, figure out for so long. And so... Then the nihilist in me, the cynic in me says, well, well, God damn it, 
it was just human beings are the fucking problem. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. something is inherently wrong with us. There's no fixing us collectively. I think capitalism wants us to think that so that we don't look at capitalism. The problem is us. The answer is getting rid of us and not it. Right. Yeah, that's actually really great. I mean, if you get rid of humans, though, you get rid of capitalism. I just like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, no, capitalism. I just, it's it's possible. (laughs) I I, I said that to my, I said that to my partner the other day. I said, whales are not getting up every day and putting on little whale suits and then traveling across the ocean in packs to go sit in whatever the version of a whale office is. The whales are not then delegating <laughs> to a school of fish under them, whatever fucking comes under whales. They're not saying it's some <laughs> school of, of, I don't know, I don't know too much about marine biology, but whatever other pack of fish that's in there, they're not being like, oh, well, y'all are the permanent underclass is now going to go and sweep up the, the, the sea floor. Like, the octopus are not like, they don't become like the, the cops. They get together and create a, a, a police force of the ocean, like Every other mammal is just out here doing mammal shit and living in the world. Human beings have created this intricate system of nonsense that keeps us wrapped in a loop where this is what humanity gets reduced down to. We have the ability to like be singing songs and fucking all day and have it can be so dope, couldn't it? Right? This even by the ocean. You know what I mean? Like we can spend all day surfing to some shit, and this is what we're doing. This is yeah. ghetto. This is very raggedy. One out of ten. Do not recommend. Like, because <laughs> and like the thing is, it's like how many, how many gimmicks do you got to engage in? You know, because like it's just like it like everything I see now is like everything is gimmicks. Everything is is a, you know app, and I feel like an old man saying this shit, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, but that's where it's like. It, and like you were even saying, and I remember saying this like when I was <laughs> when I was a staffer, and I I don't even know what I was talking about. I was talking with another one of my colleagues, and I was just like, and there's just no dignity of work. There's no dignity of work. And she looked at me like I I turned like my whole body inside out. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Like it's like wonderment and disgust. <laughs> she said, "Who is this strange like, Negro?" But like even the bus driver, serious Negro Ugh. things. Yeah, <laughs> work dignity of work. <laughs> but like you're saying, because like what? Because the thing is, yeah, and you know, where I don't know that like this, this is this is very much taught out of us. And it's like, I remember, like, even too, it was like, because there's a message in the chat of, like, you know, we got to teach the kids. I was like, no, it's not the kids, it's us. Because yes. I remember talking with my dad. He said, oh, oh, yeah, teach, teach the kids. And I was like, dad, we already try and teach the kids, mm-hmm. right? We already try to teach the kids. We tell the kids to share. We give them, to, we give them shows to say share, be nice. We give them shows and, and, you know, on the playground, make sure you, you know, okay, hey, no fighting. No, we try, we teach the kids to be nice, but mm-hmm. the kids live with, they, they're on earth with us. 
Bitch, they're they, watching you. They you see everything that happens, yeah, outside of the playground. They see all the shows outside of Sesame Street. You know, they see everything else. And what we and actually what we're teaching in them is double speak. Yes. Say one thing for the appearance of it, but do something different. We say bullying is wrong, but we consistently incentivize and reward the bully. And so we mm. become a society that victim blames while also saying like Oh, like we shouldn't do certain things to people who are weaker than us. But we actually reward and we make those who are the bullies the heroes. We aspire to it. We normalize it. Yeah. It becomes a goal, an aspiration. Yeah. Cause and that's the thing with Stu is like when you talk about post post scarcity. Post scarcity. We are post scarcity. We have been post scarcity for decades. Mm-hmm. Maybe longer. Like the ability to feed, clothe, house everyone. Humans have had that ability for a long time. We choose not to. So somebody in the chat said something I think is, I really like, and I'm actually just sitting here, just keep reading it over and over again. Hobo Rody, y'all are killing me with these handles here. (laughs) Uh, Hobo Rody said, I believe that the human being is worth more than the human doing. You better come on now playing with these motherfucking words. Yes, I I love words. I'm a poet at heart. I used to do poetry, so I love this. I believe that the human being is more than the human doing. Who you have to keep your eyes on to prevent trouble. Just being is the thing to do. The plants will be if you allow them. And so I'm kind of letting that sit on my heart because I do believe that capitalism has turned us into the human doing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to the human being, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And who are we? I, okay. I always joke that I'm going to, one of these days, I'm going to write like a really reflective book about my cats. So I have six cats. And so, I and these are separate from your six. These, you know, like yes, you're not maybe six, I run an actual six fucking kids over here. Yes. Six cats. Barnum and Bailey in this bitch. So I have six kids <laughs> and I have six cats. Um, and I watch my cats. I mean, I watch my kids too. Don't be like six of our cats. The kids, cats. <laughs> you watch the cats. That's the cats watch the kids. But I observe hierarchy. these cats like in their own like in their own little like eco thing, right? Mm-hmm. And the ways in which they just like kind of show up, right? Like these motherfuckers will beef one day. I'm talking about, I'm talking like tear the house down, knock shit over. And like two hours later, they will be grooming each other. They will be deeply in love. They will be caressing each other <laughs> and, all of, and all of that shit right there. They didn't break off into factions. They're not creating war in each other like three of them are behind a door waiting for another one to come and then they all jump on him and kill him like no they just exist in this way of being like there is a way in which we exist and it's and like we're just doing that thing and all of the like and we will like we will align we will organize ourselves in a way like when they need to eat and i'm late I will come here and find a whole bag of treats on the floor because those bitches got together and they worked together to <laughs> open the liquor cabinet where I keep the treats. They have knocked over a couple of bottles of liquor, broken a wine glass to get into the liquor cabinet to right, but I'm but they aren't living in a place with this scarcity. I'm talking about best we're talking about the we're talking about like we're not talking about scarcity. I'm talking about imagining places where we are literally allowed to be because scarcity is also created in many ways. That's the gag, right? Like we, mm-hmm. 
did all of these things to alleviate scarcity. And then somebody was like, wait a second. Or a couple people or a lot of people were like, those who control the resources also get to control the other people. And then we can make them vie on some Hunger Games shit to get a little bit of that. That's that's literally how capitalism plays out. You, We created things that were abundant and then turned around and created scarcity so that we can control people, get them to believe that now scarcity is normal. Scarcity is not normal anymore. Hunger is not normal. There is no reason that anybody, especially in this country, should be hungry. But I'm actually going to be I'm bold enough to make the statement and stand on that I don't think there should be anybody in the world right now. Developing world, developed world, like whatever. There's really like, there's no, there's no reason for it. And especially, I mean, for anybody to be hungry right now, like that's just basic. Let's just get right there. I mean, this, and all this, and this is where, you know, like I got a, I got a, a, a buddy who did like a bunch of different farming shit in Vermont and they made this compost heap that also heated the 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 greenhouse, right? So completely never touch it again. You've got a heated greenhouse off of a big pile of shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um and that's and 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 like that's where like the possibility to be, right? Because like and that like my my dad, uh, you know, or at least my you know, like my grandpa's house back in Jamaica. His yard. His his, his, I walk around and I just I just break out. You know how some people just break out in a faux British accent? I break out into a faux Jamaican accent all the time. Like my kids will do something, I'll be like, Me not I. Me not I. You gotta kiss your teeth first. And they're always like mom but you're not jamaican we got our dna yeah. test done we ain't even come through the caribbean <laughs> i don't want to hear i'm still in denial i, I, <laughs> I was telling everybody we had to have come through the caribbean i feel it in my bones i feel no, it like those, yeah. those dna tests are fake all right you are, you are. Uh, <laughs> but no but that thing is that like his his whole backyard was it was a you know it was a farm you know it was a, mm-hmm. we'd say it was, it was like the whole you know from one side to the other and his chickens running through the whole fucking thing yes um love chickens love and and that's where like as of people being you know and not just doing and that's not to say that's like you're gonna need you know heavy construction fucking workers to deal with some of these dilapidated buildings we got around you know and like to fix some of these bridges and all this type of shit you can still do great things but also there's no there's there shouldn't be any any down looking on doing the simple things on doing the on like just li- on living because like that's where it is like it's it's crazy i do not want to live capitalism right? makes us believe that if we don't do these things, we're all going to be lazy freeloaders who never get anything. And we know that that is patently untrue. Yeah. Those of us who have, have ever, like, who question anything, who ever pick up a book to read, like, we know that that's not true. Human beings are wired. We are makers. We will do things, right? But it doesn't have to be in this way. We will work. I was like, we could spend all day surfing one time. Somebody was like, well, who's going to make the surfboards? I was like, bitch, are you fucking dumb? Are you dumb? Are you stupid? Mm-hmm. We're going to make the, work, the, the surfboards. But we're not going to make $300 surfboards and then tell you that only these type of people can get them and that you got to go work a job and then after you pay rent and pay for electricity and do all these other things, then maybe you got enough left over to buy a surfboard. Yeah. 
Like somebody sit like, on the beach and teach your punk ass how to make the surfboard. You will go make the surfboard if you want to surf, right? Like we can, like we've done this. That's the thing. Like that's why I said we need both imagination and historical context. And I mean historical context that predates Western civilization of like sort of like piecemealing you history that benefits you, right? Like that Af that that West African euphemism that says so long as the as the hunters write history, they will always be the victors, mm -hmm. right? Like until the lions learn to document their history, the hunters will always be the victors or some shit like that. That's, but y'all get the point that I'm making here. Yeah. So like, we need to think about work in a way, like somebody just wrote in the, in the chat, Anton said, the right to leisure must be included in our systems post-revolution. I, I would even push it even further and just say, that the leisure is the existence. The work's gonna come and it won't feel like work. It will be a thing of like, well, what do we need to do to take care of ourselves? Right? I think that mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I want to, I don't want to misquote because I'm real big about attribution. But somebody told me a story once. Let me make it very general, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody else, if, if you've got the time and you want to go look it up and fact check, please, please do. I'm always a bitch who's willing to, to walk it back if I'm wrong. But somebody was telling me a story about either like the Samoans or maybe the Polynesians or some group of people, right, who get up six o'clock in the morning, they get up or four o'clock in the morning, ass crack of dawn, some, some very early time in the morning, and they spend several hours doing all the things that they need to do to keep their society running. Like we know we need food. We know that these the animals that we are caring for need to be taken care of so that we have access to eggs and cheese and milk or whatever, right? So we're going to do all those things from 4 to 10 or 11 in the morning. And we're going to do it in cooperation with each other. We understand that we all have got roles, right, based upon what we want to do and what we can do. And then around 11, 12, we just go be. We surf, we weave baskets, we we dance, we teach the kids self-defense. We are just living in society with one another. People build, like somebody needs a house, motherfuckers get together and they build a house. People are like, where are the woods gonna, where's wood gonna come from? Like, I feel like when I have these conversations, particularly with American people, or like mm -hmm. people who have been cultured in Western society, our brains are so calibrated to being like, we will only ever do things if somebody else tells us that we have to do them and then we're going to get money for it. Like the idea that all the things that we're enjoying now, we couldn't just do for each other just because we needed them to be done. And the actual payoff is that we then get to be able to live a life of relative ease. It's, it is, because in this where it's like, with the surfboard thing, it's like, yeah, exactly. Two words. Like, there's just a belief that someone has to dedicate their life to only making surfboards, <laughs> and there being a shit ton of surfboards sitting in a warehouse somewhere, just waiting, just sitting there collecting dust and waiting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for someone to say, I want a surfboard right now. Mm -hmm. At this very moment, I have to have a surfboard. You know, we talk about food. We produce the amount of caloric food necessary, right? Just in like caloric, you know, just on calories basis, just to feed the animals that become our meat. 
out of the food that we do produce in this country, about half of it, Marcus, come on now, gets thrown away. Where's the collection plate? Hallelujah. All right. Now, when they when they do the like worldwide studies, as far as hey, what would it take? And it's like a lot of people toss around like, what was it like the forty four billion dollars that it would take to actually solve world hunger? I.e., nobody is hungry ever, right? About forty four billion dollars per year, which is nothing. That's like twenty percent of our military budget. Most of that, as like when they do these studies, most of that is logistics. Most of that is moving food that is already produced to places that need it. And like this is just something that is like it just sits there, right? That's like because like there is like it's there's a false sense of scarcity. It's uh-huh. it's generated. It's manufactured scarcity. Yeah. Because like the thing is like you gro- if you go walk into a grocery store, you're not seeing scarcity. And so much of that food, it, like I used to dumpster dive when I was a young mom, and I was like hanging with all of these like dirty foot like white kids of state. We we would like wolf and so wolfing is like where groups of people get together and visit different um different farms and growing outfits and you just volunteer your labor here i was like this young hood ass mom from the bronx and i gave my little raggedy ass car right because i was just trying to like also kind of escape my life and i would go up with these white kids a lot of times who were playing poor (laughs) they were cosplaying poverty right and their poverty allowed them to be able though to like not have a job and pay rent in some converted barn that was like you know had been converted to like to a like to a house or whatever and their their sense of like equity and reparations would be like let's take in this black lady with her kids right and i'm not saying that to be facetious i'm not like these are some of the me and my i have two adult children or adult ish because i'm still paying for them to live so you know i have a 21 year old and a 19 year old so they're adult adjacent as i like to say and so we still we still talk about that like and we still talk about it with love i'm not you know i i i my my brand of humor is a bit facetious um and i like making fun of white people so y'all can call me a reverse racist whatever <laughs> but you know but i really I, like that shit changed my life right and i think it is one of those things that made me feel like it should this shouldn't just be something that like dirty foot well or like secretly affluent or low-key affluent white people get to do right like there is something that speaks to all of us because here i am with my gold teeth and my nappy hair and my fucking air you know like my air force ones and and my jays and my kids my little pick me you know what i mean mark you know talking about with the <laughs> them running around with the you know the, the crazy hair or whatever you know the hair that my my, my black family would be like do the kids hair white people ain't know no better they be like oh my god i love your children's hair you so know natural <laughs> <laughs> just natural everywhere and my kids are like at night i'm like picking fucking yeah. t- like ticks off of them making sure they have no deer ticks like the big ones those awful ticks they'd be all over their body they're jumping in lakes we had the best time we had no fucking money what we could grow and then me and these kids me and these white kids would you know like one of them would watch my kids and then me and like two other people would jump in a, a flatbed pickup truck and we would go to hannaford right down in the part of town where like the weekenders live people from the yeah. city who had these beautiful houses that were yep. empty 
from Monday through mm -hmm. Thursday, and they only came up Friday through Sunday. Yep. Right? Can you imagine mm -hmm. having a big ass house that you only came to on the weekends? Yeah. We could not fathom it. So we go to Hannaford or we go to Whole Foods or whatever. We knew the schedule of when they were going to dump shit out. And we would go and rip open the bags and you beautiful pre-made salads, almond milk that was just a day or two past ex uh, expiration dates. And expiration dates aren't expiration dates. They're sell-by dates. There's a difference. Yeah, sure. Right? And, and what happened was they started realizing that we were doing this. You know what they started doing? Locking the dumpster. Not locking, pouring bleach on the shit. Oh my God. Wow. Pouring bleach on shit. You see this even in fashion. Yes. Like when they throw all clothes and stuff, right. they yeah. will take scissors, razors, and rip the shit up. Rip it apart. What yeah. kind of pathology is that? That says if we cannot sell it to you, and if we are not getting a tax write-off by giving it to City Harvest or whatever, we're gonna just destroy it. Yeah. Well. Good fucking food, clothing that is wearable. Yeah. I don't so to work at Starbucks and we had to mark the food out and I would get in trouble routinely because I would mark the food out and me and the other baristas would put all of the food in the same bag and we would tie it a certain way and then we throw it outside and then we would open the bag later and take all the stuff. The manager caught us on videotape one time Ooh. and basically was like, I'm going to write y'all this time and then was on some like cover the mic. Next time, just don't put the bag in the way of the of the of 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 the of the video camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but like, can you imagine that getting a warning at work for eating food that they were gonna throw out? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh. God damn. Because and that's what some of like um, I remember during COVID, during like the beginning of COVID. And I had still worked at the government, and like this is when I like literally like lost my mind, um, because I joined, you know, like where you know I had a job where oh hey just work from home, you know you got a laptop, you got a work cell, work from home, you know, no problem. And so I started also like being a part of this like food network, where I would pick up a gift card go to the grocery store, buy some shit, and then drop it off for some people who needed help. And we mm. dropped by this stuff, and there's just this, like, lady who was saying that she's, like, she couldn't afford, you know, like, they didn't have enough. She needed diapers. They needed milk, though. And I was like, oh, I got you, bet, right? Just ran to the store, got some milk. Hey, here you go. Don't worry about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, but then I saw the story on the news where the milk producers... We're dumping milk. Yes. They were just dumping it out because the market said they had to dump out the milk. And there was a bunch of potato farmers where they weren't selling as many potato chips or some shit. So they had to get rid of the potatoes. Mm -hmm. And they just tilled the potatoes back into the earth. Instead of give, like, and it's just like it, that I was like, like it's it. That, I mean, that was like probably like one of a very, very deep radicalizing moment of like, this system hates people. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it, like we are living and and fostering a system that that like that hates us. And it wants you, and it's teaching you to hate yourself. 
Yeah. But as you hate yourself in the system of self-loathing, in a system of believing in your own inherent worthlessness, allegedly, supposedly, right? We know it's a myth, right? That you will then be compliant, right? And that you will then lack the imagination. I keep coming back to this, right? The imagination, and maybe that's not the right word, maybe lack the vision, right? To be like, oh shit, my, my, my thing died, right? Um, To be like, there can be something better than this. There is something better than yeah. this. And we will get together and in some cases fight to the death to get something better. And so I want to kind of segue then because we're talking about this. And because this is something that I've long sort of like under, like I've, I've seen this, right? I now in the nonprofit industrial complex, right? The nonprofit industrial system, mm-hmm. right? It's my job as the executive director of the Black Feminist Project we've opened a community center that is very much mutual aid. Can I tell y'all how hard it is? Like we talk this talk in foundations, philanthropy, we talk about different models. And then I actually create something like many other people before me. I'm not unique in that. I'm mm. just trying to do my version of it. Yeah. I am fighting for my life to get funding. I naively thought like, if I can just get my hands, like during COVID, me and my daughter went out to a George Floyd protest and got our asses beat in the Bronx. And I documented it. And I live streamed it on Facebook. I remember that. And people, and then my my partner got locked up for 36 hours and we didn't know where he was. And I was on Facebook, you know, like hair in a big top bun, smoking my weed, tears streaming down my face. It's so dramatic. And I am just talking about these systems and like the plight of black people in this country historically and like how so much of this is rooted in anti-blackness and dismantling systems. And I don't know where my baby is and somehow somebody somewhere, you know, like this thing where things go viral sometimes they get away from you and people started saying hey this lady runs the organization she's trying to build a community senator she's actually trying to do these things that she's talking about to subvert the, the the status quo society we live in and before i knew it i had i my pain and trauma right and that's a whole nother discussion how the only time black women and black people can get funded is if we are performing pain and trauma my pain and trauma got me $150,000 in mutual aid in like a month. I've never been able to do that. I've, I've been struggling to do it since then. I Instead of taking $150,000 and getting some land, which is what I should have fucking did, I opened a community center. Because I was like, black people need some place to go. Brown yeah. people need some place to go. Children, I don't give a fuck what they look like. Black, white, whatever. Because we have a teacher who's always bringing her little white kids to our center. They just be all, I mean, like, they white, white, too. Like, blonde hair, blue eyes. (laughs) There with the fucking, with the black kids, the Puerto Rican kids. And those kids, all them kids be like, gang, gang. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all these black and brown kids. And then these three white kids in the middle looking like fucking Jedediah. And (laughs) you're like, yo, gang, gang. They don't care. They are just in love with each other right like like and i'm like this is the this is the best part of humanity this is possible right and now i'm not performing trauma i am performing vision i am i am performing Mm. hope and nobody will give me a fucking dollar i have like 
16,000 followers on Instagram. They engage. I engage with them. They're always jumping in my inbox and telling me how inspirational I am and how much they love me. And they read my essay in the New York Times bestseller, You Are Your Best Thing. And it changed my life. I feel seen. And I said, if 1,000 of you gave $10, right? I said, no, if 1,700 of you gave $10, you could fund, right? the basics of this space for two months, for two months. You can pay a partial salary for a per diem worker to manage this space. We can get food to keep our pantry open. Baby, I couldn't You know, remember. and it's, and like, honestly too, is like, this is so, and like part of from, I guess like some of the things that like I think about a lot is that how do we actually like make on hey, our hey, own? cut it out. Sorry, cactus. Um... <laughs> You know, and this is it's kind of like somewhere where it's like a party structure, you know, would necessarily be. Let you know, me like, be stupid. You got to let your partner fake hit you with bricks to raise funds. Oh, my God. Goodbye. <laughs> just, just block, Timothy, fucking... block Timothy now. You can't be here anymore. <laughs> fucking fake cop uh, uniform. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, is is because is is how do you actually engage in. Is, how do you actually engage in our, the society we have now? and build power and, and separate out. And, um, and I, I think too, is like, of like mutual aid structures that are a little bit more solidified, you know, of like where instead of tying, you know, your, uh, the community center to like a direct, uh, you know, just people like donating to like, like I'm I, in my, my head, it's like a, a like a way of like, if there are other co-ops, right? Instead of like a co-op business saying, oh, well, we donate to these funds and stuff like that. A co-op business can be the thing that buttresses the, the, you know, a permanent structure in that same community, you know? And it essentially is like building out like the people's government, right? This, the, 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 the interlocking structure mm -hmm. to our own, you know, network of systems that services us, whether so it is a farm, yeah. you know, a community center, yeah. a, a child, you know, childcare. I mean, hell, cause like childcare is one of the things where it's like, there's something we, we gotta be able to do with childcare. There's gotta be some also, type I'm of app. Resentful you know what I'm of child care because like a mother should be able to be with her child to take Lord, care of them without Lord. being like, I'm going to go dump my child with somebody else to take care of. Now that's yeah, but, like, think about the irony of it. No, somebody else like, yeah. get paid yeah. to supposedly mother my child with 17 other children. We like most of us literally don't have the bandwidth. You're not going to be able to nurture 17 children. You by yourself, right? I'm going to dump this child, right? If it's a home daycare, probably eight other kids are there. If it's a group daycare, it's like three ladies, 21 kids. Yeah. They're going to get paid to do for my child what I should actually be able to do for my child if I had a just and equitable government system. No, right. and that's and like one hundred percent. And actually, and I agree. And like, I'm happy you said it because we like, like that point too is like for real. Because we value children and we value the caretakers of them, and we didn't see being like, oh, this mother being able to have housing, you know, food for her child, and universal basic income to carry the. We didn't look at that as like welfare, and she's. She's just some slag yeah. who decided to get knocked up and now wants to be a ward of the state with her little picnic. We are a sick society. Yeah. No, and I'm happy you said that too because like that, like the thing is too, where it's like, 
even having spaces where, like where children can be, you know, even having to like, even like if you are like in like a working space or you're doing something, because like that's where too is like, especially if you're going to a garden, you know, kids can be there, you know, it's like, you're not got them on the tractor. Like, all right, Hey, pull the lever, <laughs> Timmy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, a, you know, you could be in spaces where kids should be able to be and live. Cause like, it's like, a, it's all like, you know, like, as you're saying too, it's like, it's like weird, this weird thing of like, you've got adults and then we got these fucking kids right. that need to be segregated and watched by these other people who know how to watch kids. Cause I'm not watching my fucking kids. They're annoying as shit. And I don't know how to do these Fortnite dances. So we'll make them watch them. So that is like something that is, you know, like obviously school is important and all this, like, you know, but yeah, at the end of the day, especially little kids, like why, why segregate kids from life where they exist with us um, and where people got to take care of them? And, and like, it would hopefully be where it's not just, you know, one gender that's, you know, seen as, as right. responsible, but like, right. yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like have, have dad take the baby you know, to do whatever that they're doing, you know, that hopefully, you know, like in a space that's safe for babies, you know, I'm sorry, if you work in a mine or some shit, like you can't take baby to work, you should have time off from that mine to go be with your baby. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I agree. I agree. And so that's honestly, though, it's like part of it is too of like, I hope some of this stuff is like transitionary, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, cause like if you could build structures that help us get from one place to another, and then you close down that structure as people just don't, oh, hey, you got a young kid or shit. Maybe you just don't want to work for a few weeks. No big deal. You know, you got time off. You don't have to worry about the food. You don't have to worry about, you know, these are the no more normalized things. But, yeah, I don't know. That's something that, like, um, especially in your institute, talking about, um, like, the funding. You know, this is something where I do see that's that's what's missing you know if there's any left you know like the you know left political left in the united states what's missing is that organization that ties this you know oh hey there's a worker run co-op that they donate this much money to that thing this much money to this random thing what if it's actually tied to another structure in the community you know and then you go from there and you end up being able to actually build out some societal structures that are like money's fake i think we keep forgetting that Money is That's true too. made up. Yeah. It's, made up. it's yeah, literally yeah. made up. Money Somebody's fake. like, here's a little piece of paper. Here is a, you know, back in the day, right? I'm dating myself. Here is an actual check. You can take it and someone will cash it and give you paper. Now it's here's a digital thing. We're going to put an imaginary amount of money into your account. And so for us, like at the Black Feminist Project, I'm like, okay. So like there are value systems. Whatever you, like before it was the paper, in some societies, it was cowrie shell. In another society, it might have been some fucking billy goats. Like, it is just a value system. What are we valuing? And how are we valuing it? So the Black Feminist Project, we are now pivoting, right? We are talking about how do we set up a model that literally is just like mutual aid? One, I think we got mutual aid fucked up. During the time of COVID, we were like mutual aid. And basically, we were just giving people money. It's charity. That's not really mutual aid. Yeah. Mutual aid is like, how do we take care of people's basic needs? And then what do they do to contribute to that system so that it becomes sustainable? Yeah. Right? That's why it's called mutual Mutual. aid. Mm -hmm. But capitalism just reduces things down to money. And we cannot get away from that until we decide that we want to get away from that. So we have the farm, Black Joy Farm. 
right for the last almost 10 years that the farm has been running, Black Joy Farm has really in many ways, if I'm speaking honestly, been an exercise. Like, like it's been one big like growing, growing demo. Like we yeah. use the word farm very intentionally. It's not a community garden. We don't do community plots. I don't have the bandwidth for that. That shit takes so much mediation. You got to run behind people. And knowing the way that capitalism functions, a lot of times community gardens become very proprietary to the five people who have the time to run it, right? And all of these weird sort of hierarchies come up. That was my experience. I was like, I want to grow food for the purposes of the community. What does the community need in that moment? If people come in and they want to be in this space, for me, like the farm was just about, I felt a lot of pressure to quantify and qualify the farm in the mm -hmm. way that funders could understand. And now that I've been so beat up, right? And now that I'm realizing that nonprofits are still capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's still fucking <laughs> capitalism. Yep. It is. Yeah. It is yep. still capitalism. We could try to romanticize it all we want, but it is poor man's capitalism. <laughs> it is broke capitalism. Well, it's, well that's you. So with some nonprofits, there ain't nothing broke about it. it there isn't, because I've gone to some of those nonprofits, yeah. gate, right? Yeah. I'm in yeah. a fucking gala that I know took $150,000 to pull off for mm -hmm. them to raise $200,000 at the end yep. of the night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of these nonprofits do a gala. And they get their whole operating budget fundraised in that mm -hmm. one night of a gala. So whatever. But to keep keep it pushing forward. So we're like, if you come, this is this. So now I'm basically like, fuck that. I don't feel that pressure anymore. I don't have to qualify and quantify this to you. I'm not about to lie because we be lying in these grant reports. I'm not about to lie to you and say, Marcus Jenkins, hey, you know, you know, we be lying. The funders reading it know you lying. You know, but we're all it's all game. It's hoops. Like, the lie sounds believable, so let's go with it. Yeah. I've, you know what I mean? Like, I have fed 500 people this year to 100 pounds of food each. Niggas don't know, right? right. Why is it just not good <laughs> enough to be like, I have kept a unpoliced, safe, green growing space open for 10 years and this community has been able to access this by stealing shit from me these motherfuckers don't pull out my cherry tree they don't stole my plum tree they don't jump the gate and stole every motherfucking peach off the tree true story like these are all things that happened right they've been able to access it by coming in here and allowing their picnic them to run around right and learn shit. They've been able to access it because every year, except this year, we have a Halloween party and we turn on the grill and make hot dogs and play spooky music and let the kids dip apples and caramel and chocolate uh, because they've been able to access it by coming in here and getting a dozen eggs. I love that somebody picked up on the real world reference. Nobody ever gets it. Um, so like they've been able to come in here and get a dozen eggs whenever they want. They like it, it is valid because Iris, who was our 80 year old volunteer who comes to that spot every fucking day. She is a key. And she tells me when I do show up, she says, oh, Tanya, me morena, you are my therapy. You are my therapy, Tom, uh, Tanya. If it was for if it was not for my morena, I would die. You know, she's so dramatic. I would die without my morena. I don't even be there half the time. But what she's saying is that if I did not create this space and i the word morena 
even as a sense of uh, adoration is so problematic to me. But you know, you gotta pick your fight. So I just let her. <laughs> I just let her call me Morena. But what she is saying is that if I, her, her beautiful, because Morena can mean skin color, but it also can mean hair color. Hair color. Like Right. If I, her beautiful, dark friend did not create this space for her to come every day where she overwaters shit and breaks shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? And feeds the, the chickens, arroz con gandules, right? And has adopted a street cat that we call Oreo that she feeds every day, penil and goes and gets friskies. And I said to her one time, Iris, let me give you money. And she said, no, it's okay. You don't have to give me money. I said, but no, you you like you always feeding the chickens and everything. Let me give you money. She said, oh, I don't feed the chickens. The community feeds the chickens. She said, I take the eggs around to the people in the community. That's what I'm saying. We are hustlers. We figure it mm -hmm. out. This lady's always got her little shopping cart. She takes the eggs and she walks around and people give her things for the farm. They give her bread. They give her seeds. They mm -hmm. give her old watermelon rinds or squash, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And she'll give them a half a dozen eggs. Yeah. She'll give them a dozen eggs. The boys will come and carry things down for her, pick up the big bags of chicken feed for her because Iris is going to tell them that they can pick peaches off the tree. That's valid. I don't yeah. need to qualify that. I don't need to quantify that. This is the privilege of certain communities where they can have this. And it's quote unquote self-funded. Be of these systems, inequality makes it so that that can happen. And therefore, their nervous system is more in line. They're not stressed out in the way that our communities are being stressed at the brink. It does have a value, but it is not a value that is easily quanti quantified in a fucking grant report. And we are deserving of those things. We need to be courageous enough to to create those things, even if nobody is going to give us a dollar. Because at some point internally, once we like once we see how valuable it is, we will take care of it. So now we are growing specifically for the purposes of this new project that we launched at the end of the year called Carter Mom and Time. It's a social justice cafe. Carter Mom and Time says, I built out this kitchen. I've called up white friends and told them reparations. We need to buy an electric stove. And my homegirl in California, who's got land and llamas, the bitch really has llamas, right? And sells the manure mm. for like people who want to compost, right? And she keeps telling me she's going to send me some llama shit in the mail. I'm waiting for this. Anyways, <laughs> she sends me $200 so I can buy an electric cooktop. We figure out how to pussy pop in a handstand so that we can buy some new cabinets. We build out a whole kitchen and then we take the food from the farm and we cook the food for the people in the community. And the people in the community come in and we say, if you bring books for our library, if you bring clothes for our boutique, right? because we collect gently used clothes and sometimes a lot of times brand new fucking clothes because we buy too much shit in capitalism. We don't ever need to produce and we don't need to produce anything new for a good long while. And so we mm -hmm. take all of that stuff and we aggregate it into this space and people can come in and shop. Well, what shopping looks like is if you bring in some shit, you get to take some shit and you, it doesn't have to be transactional. You ain't got to bring the shit right now. Just bring the shit later. We get nice. people to bring us, you know, babies. They like. Oh, yeah. It's constant. 
Yeah, two like like a baby's gonna wear a onesie like twice if you yeah. And then that kid is gonna get all fat and have a growth spurt and you can't use it anymore. And a lot of times it goes into a dumpster, particularly in poor communities where we don't have the bandwidth a lot of times if you're trying to find the thrift store to like put all of that like so it'll go into a dumpster. We're actually saying no, if you bring it here, you can trade that onesie for what like whenever you feel like it, right? If you bring a book. Right. For our library, which is not really a library because library means you have to bring it back. We just give the books away. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you can go into our cafe and you can go get a sandwich. You can go get a cup of coffee. On Fridays, we do ready to heat meals because I started to realize how problematic in communities that are already stressed and stretched thin pantries are. Not only are pantries paternalistic. No shade to pantries. I know that they are filling some needs they have for a long time, but they are starting to become antiquated, right? And they don't leave people with a whole lot of dignity to be standing online for hours, literal hours. I've I have stood on pantry lines. You get there, if the pantry opens at 10, you are there at 7:30 to reserve your spot. And then you stand there. It's first come, first serve. And pantries will routinely run out of shit. That's just because that's what the, that's the need. And then it's just going to give you whatever it's got, irregardless to your dietary needs, irregardless to, to uh, how many people in your family. If you got seven people in your family, the pantry is going to give you maybe enough for two or three people to eat for a day or two. Irregardless to whatever the public health issues of that community might be, a lot of pantries have started to incorporate incorporate, or have incorporated fresh produce. But a lot of pantries, still a lot of shelf-stable shit. rice the shit in cans, right? And, right. you know, uh, you know, they're going to give you shit irregardless to, like, what you, like, what's your the cultural I mean, relevancy. Yeah. You giving folks in the Bronx Swiss chard. We don't want that shit. We don't eat that. Like, can we have some cassava? <laughs> can we have some plantano? Can we have some yam, some sweet potato? Right. right. And so what we've started to say is like, we as people in this community who know that and also understand that poor people, cash poor people work harder for less. And yet we continue this myth and this fallacy that then they should continue to keep working while the rest of us who can afford luxury get luxury or afford convenience can get convenience. We have people in our community that are working third and fourth shift. We have people in our community who actually just don't want to cook, right? We have people in our community that you are working, you get up, drop your kid off at some local charter school, some oppressive ass charter school at 7.30 in the morning, rush your ass to work to be there by 9.30, figure out how the hell you're going to get your kid from that same oppressive ass charter school at 4.30, right? Go pick them up at 5.30, get them home, help them with the two hours of homework that these fucking charter schools and public schools are giving kids. Also, homework is a lie and a myth and a fallacy. And from an educational standpoint, it is useless and it is busy work. It is more about capitalism, readying your child to normalize busy work for the sake of busy work. You mean to tell me you had this little motherfucker in school for eight hours and you couldn't teach him what you needed to teach him and now you're going to send him home with two hours of fucking homework that I got to do with him? Damn, bitch, you had him for eight hours. We're done. It's over. But anyways, so you're going to help your kid with his two hours of homework. Then you got to get his head done, washed, in the bed, and you were supposed to create a meal and all of that time? Fuck out of here. It's, it's, it's insane. 
So what we say is, well, we can't help you all the time because we also suffering under those systems, but you can make a reservation. And on Fridays, you can come here and there's going to be a frozen pan of lasagna, a little bag full of uh, salad fixings and some sort of healthy sweet that goes along with it, fried apples or uh, like a, a vegan gluten-free uh, pumpkin bread that goes along with it. And you can have that. That's your yeah. made a reservation. We made a hundred of them, right? A hundred of them based on your family size. So Tanisha, who's got three kids, is going to get one size, right? And Maria, yeah. who's living in an intergenerational home where there might be eight people, is going to get another size. Yeah. Because we understand that we all have different needs and all of those different needs are equally important. I am literally writing grants for this. I think I'm brilliant. Like, bitch, you are fucking brilliant. You better come on and build on the fucking Black Panther social program party. OK, this is the social programs, <laughs> social programs part. Duh, honey. <laughs> funders lack the imagination. Funders are like, I mean, this sounds great, but like, how are you going to prove the impact of this? What people take the food? People I, eat. Is that, is that, is that, like, do people take the food, right? They take people the food and then they people take, they take the food and then they eat the food. People come in the doors for anything else. People come for the food. People come for the food. They come for the clothes. They right. And the thing is, the reason that we wanted to be like at first, I was doing this and I was doing it in a way that very much propped the organization up as benefactors. But the thing is, the organization is run by two, like a, a black, a dark skin, five foot ten, 200 pound black woman who looks very West African. And I say all that because that shit means something in society. It does. To look like me and to do this work means something because I inhabit a body that is criminalized. I inhabit a body that is assigned the pathology of violence, regardless of how I show up like in my spirit, right? I know that when I walk into a room as a five foot 10, 215 pound woman with a big fucking nose and grills and these giant ass glasses that make me look like Spike Lee from Do The Right Thing, like, <laughs> I know that people are already like, people are like, people are always like, you're so intimidating. Mm. God damn. I mean, at this point, I'm just like, I mean, whatever, girl. Fuck you. Yeah. You know, like I don't have the I don't have the bandwidth right. or energy to like. I used to like always want to like help people deconstruct why they think that. And I don't give a fuck anymore. Like, yeah. cause there's other shit that I need to like really important shit I need to be giving my energy to. Right? Like how to keep the center open. But it put us in this space, and then my my you know my like my co-director right who's on medical leave right now because she's got two kids with special needs one with serious neurological issues is like a former gang member puerto rican iranian you know what i mean like is like i mean when you think about new yorkers with the tims talk with the raspy voice like marrying him is that bitch you understand what i'm saying like it is obvious these two bitches right here are from new york and from the part of new york that is gets it in right and we walk into these funding right. spaces talk this shit and we put white supremacy in our grant models. We don't try to dress things up in vernacular, right? And we aren't getting the dollars for it. We aren't getting the dollars for it. And so at some point after feeling very beat upon, feeling very embittered, feeling very much like a failure, like I can't do this. I really started to think like, Tanya, you are lacking imagination. Don't cop out. There is a way to do this because we've been doing this. 
right? You can't talk about dismantling capitalism and then get mad when capitalism is not working in your favor. Yeah. You're asking capitalism to fund something that's anti-capitalist. Girl, bye. So I was like, we need to really look at the way that mutual aid is actually supposed to work. So mm -hmm. we are creating this value system called Cardamom Bucks. It's a little QR code. It's a little app, a reloadable card where when you bring in things that we need for the center, and when I say we, I mean all of us, not just the people who work for the organization, like we, the community, we need these things. When we decide that we're going to share these things, we're going to repurpose these things, we're going to upcycle these things, then you get a you get a value of that. Oh, you brought in two pounds of books, you got 50 cardamom bucks. Now you can take those 50 cardamom bucks and you can go in the boutique and get shit from the boutique. You can go over to the to the cafe system and get a panini or butternut squash or whatever it is. I mean, we still have to participate in capitalism. Don't think that I ain't out here pussy popping in the handstand writing these grants, right? Yeah. For like these folks, these these white run foundations that have endowments that are very much fed by capitalism, right? Like, let's be real. Foundation money is not just like from God and is and is completely pure and clean. Man, that is blood money. That is blood Which, money. And that's, that's yeah. a couple times. I think that's like part of the thing though and like where it takes like people like you literally just trying shit out. And like you even said, it's like there's not some like static plan that you came up with 10 years ago and then you just followed the plan. Like, no, you, you know, go roll with the punches. Things don't come through, you know, and like you make shit work. Um, but that, that something that I think a lot of people can get stuck on, you know, is, well, this isn't, you're not doing socialism right now, you know, and it's kind of like you need to have a mature understanding that like some things we just got to do for right now, some things we got to do to survive, some things we got to do to shore up our survivability, and then some things we got to do to transition and have an understanding of like, hey, this is just a for now while we're like while we are existing under this oppressive capitalist system right we got to do this but we're doing this to get on the other side you know and it's not like oh well we're just not going to feed these people because they can't you know it's like you don't you don't give up on certain principles but you do have an understanding that it's like yeah you still need to get the grant money in order you know like you still got to go through some of these hoops i mean shit i still got to pay fucking rent you know, like shit's got to get going. You know, I cannot like, call my landlord and be like, "Look, man, we, I'm, I'm, I'm participating in mutual aid." What I need some mutual come? aid, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> you need me to come once a week and sweep up in your office. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, why don't we? I mean, so I mean, Which, and that's just yeah. Because there's know, examples too of these like of these housing co-ops, of like these like groups of people who are like, "Oh, we figured it out that like." we can, you know, you get more shit if you pool your money together, right? But this is largely, you know, rich hippies that have been able to kind of, like, build out these little, like, commune-style things, but it's like, you're in, like, the, you're, like, outside of San Francisco with shit doing this, you know what I'm saying? But, like, what are the pay possibilities? What are the capabilities? You know, like you said, right, hey, you should have talked about buy some kitchen, land. The girl that I'm training, the woman that I'm training to run my kitchen, I can't pay her on mutual aid. I got to pay her a per diem rate. Yeah. And yeah. I and I hate that even it's a, like right now all I can afford is a per diem rate because honestly I want to be able to pay her a living wage yeah. with yeah. like health benefits. Yeah. Yeah. But I talk about this shit and I write these beautiful 
like grants. I'm, I'm not gonna hold you. I'm a great writer. <laughs> if you have not read my essay, and you, you know, you are your best thing, which is a uh, an anthology put together by Brene Brown and uh, Me Too founder Tarana Burke. I am, I am a brilliant writer, not just of, you know, like narrative, right? And that's what, a, and that's what, that's what most grants are, narrative. Yeah. But also of, I'm just a good writer. Like as a kid, I was an insatiable reader that. It went into adulthood. Generally, people who read well, it it's not always the case. But it, most great it writers are actually voracious readers. There's right. a, uh, oh shit, there is a correlation there. And so, like, I write really well. I know that the issue is not my ability to string together a narrative. I know that my issue is not being able to attribute and cite studies and all this kind of stuff. I know that the issue is that. We have a lot of rhetoric around these things, including foundations who will like who will co-op the language, but they don't have any praxis around it. And it does not seem like they actually have any real desire because then it also dismantles the system that keeps them fed. Right. And so it has been very frustrating to operate in that duality. It has been very frustrating to keep our morale up. I have a revolving door right of staff that come through because people have to move on yeah right and and i encourage it i tell people from day one you, you probably but then think about the impact that also has on my organization when you are not able to keep talent around yeah. term when you are constantly in the cycle of having to retrain people and get them up to speed think about what that does to me individually as a parent as a neighbor how I show up as my best self in community. Well, my nervous system, particularly as someone who has ADHD, is constantly dysregulated because I've always got to stand in the gap to fill these needs in order for the organization to keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, um, chat, give this lady some money, please. No, uh, that's <laughs> um, the link is in the chat. Yeah, that's uh, donate today. No, you know, and like that's where it's like it's not any type of simple like answer. Um, the right, only thing not. is just like uh, it's something that I like I recognize, and I think it's like it's not hard to recognize is that there are there's just there's there are a lot of us who are are rowing right. We're on the boat and we're rowing, but our angles are off. You know yeah. what I'm saying? We're not really uniform. We're not working in cooperation in the way that we really could be. Right. You know, we're working, yeah. but we're working separately. Yeah. Um, Silos, and then we crash it, into each other. There's no exactly. Crashing. Yeah. We're all on this big ass ocean of capitalism, trying <laughs> yeah. to roll to somewhere. We don't even. That's that's a thing too. Like m many of us may not. Even, we even haven't even agreed where we're rowing to. Right. Mm. I'm over here trying to row to one island somebody else trying to row to another island we yeah. smashing into each other breaking up each other's boats you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. fall in the ocean and drown help me you know what i mean like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, real. That's, it's, yeah. it's crazy it is it's crazy. and that's the thing that's like been crushed out you know when people talk about like oh free speech use is dead in america well this is like the thing that's like literally actually been bred out of the the dynamics of this country is the 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 even discussion that capitalism isn't the end all be all right even the can we talk about this system not being all that great 
right? Before we even get into what what can we even address the fact that these horrible failures exist? We can't because capitalism, right, and the propaganda of capitalism being nurtured in it for decades and decades and decades, even though on a cerebral level, we know that it's a system. It's like it's like lottery. Why do so many people play a lottery when statistically they know they're not going to win? But all of us being complicit in playing because we think we might be the statistical anomaly that's going to get it. We're willing to do that, even though playing yeah. means that we continue to feed those at the top who actually benefit from it. You've got millions of people playing the lottery, thinking that maybe they'll get the $1.7 million, $10.7 million, right? When statistically, that's not the truth. And then what happens is, okay, somebody gets a $10.7 million, but because we all were trying to bet on this, the people who run lottery, the lottery corporation actually made a billion dollars. Yeah. And like, it's, 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 I mean, it's just main character. So we all think that we're the, a lot of us has, capitalism has us believing that we're all millionaires who just haven't made it yet. Yep. And so we're willing, it's like yeah, being in a, in a relationship, right? Like an abusive relationship. Like, you know, this motherfucker's not good for you. You know yeah. it, but you just keep hold. Like you just think if you love him enough, if, 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 if you model the, the behavior for her, right. If you, if you show them grace, they will finally come around to showing up for you in the way that you need them to versus being like, you are a toxic ass motherfucker. And I need to get rid of you. A lot of us have that same relationship with the systems. If I can just love the system enough, if I can just model the behavior for the system, if I can just figure out the right way to articulate to the system what needs to happen, the system will wake up one morning like like the like the protagonist in the romance movie yeah. and realize right before I get on the train that they need me and they love me and they will run me down before the train takes off and I leave and pull me off and throw <laughs> me up in the air and hold me in their arms and love me the right way. <laughs> Bitch, that's don't care about you. That's just beating your ass. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Deep my twenties. Some got a hundred other bitches doing the same thing. <laughs> And this wild is a narc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. It's like, because like the thing that's like funny too is like people will say it. We'll have these like, because like money is the root of all evil. Everybody knows that, right? It's not, and like when you're trying to get a job, oh, it's not what you know, it's who oh, you, you know. know. Right? Yeah. Like we've got these sayings that show us this system is bullshit. Like those. You combine money is the root of all evil. It's not what you know. It's who you, who you know. Who you know. If you get getting to the job, they have a more self or like more connection to evil, i.e., money. Like we talk to we 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 say this all the fucking time. It's something that most of us know, but we also like like you're we're we're devoted to it. We're devoted to it, and it can't. It's just so impossible for us to say, no, this is. Why do we gotta keep up with the Joneses when well, us and the Joneses we could we could figure shit out together we could.
do dope shit together. But also, we're trying to keep with the Joneses. Nine times out of ten, the Joneses are psychopaths who are very much committed <laughs> to upholding a system that keeps them yeah. as the Joneses. Yeah. The Joneses well, cannot be them. trusted. I don't want to work with the Joneses. All right, well, fuck the Joneses. The other people were trying to keep up with them. The Jenkins. <laughs> we can work with them. I want to work with the Jenkins. I want to work with the Sanchez's. Yeah. You know, I want to work with the white brains. Like, you know what I mean? The Joneses are the problem, well, right? Well, well. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. I definitely get what you're saying. Like, I think, you know, my my mom says in in terms of relationships, right? Like, the devil that you know is better than the one that you don't. Yeah. So for us, it's not even just devotion. It's desperation. And it's also, again, back to this idea of imagination. I keep coming back to that. I think it's also, like, a lot of us are, like, we're terrified. Like, Okay, what happens after we don't have this anymore? We like we don't know what the alternative is. Yeah. And yeah. even if we think we know what the alternative is, the alternative in practice has to be worked out. There're going to be hiccups, right? It's going to be it's another social experiment. Yep. And so for a lot of us, I think it comes down to sheer just like this is what it is because the alternative of trying some new shit and figuring out all the kinks of that feels like it might have much more have much deeper consequences for us individually yeah like the unknown is just is is naturally scary mm -hmm. you know even if we're trying to build something that we know is for the better the fact that it is something that's unfamiliar um yeah it makes makes i mean hell it makes it it'll make anybody nervous um but one thing i guess too and this is where because you talk about changing, you know, you talk about, you know, moving out of a pattern of behavior and um, which, you know, if people watch the last interview, I think you did a great job of even explaining a lot of a lot more into your history and like how you came to be where you're at. Um, but and and this is somewhere it's like for me, like my radicalism was like a, I, I saw a tanking in my professional life. Where like I had like literally was like I can't go to work today because I was so depressed about what I did at my work. <laughs> you know, I was just so deeply depressed. I didn't answer my phone for two like I literally yeah. disappeared. I broke down. Um and I think it would probably be better if people don't go to that point. Um but uh, I guess the question of like, what would you say to someone about your experience moving away from kind of doing like, you know, the talk circuit, you know, having people come and you talk about racism and stuff like that to you building something in your community. Um, that transition, you know, about not only like, I guess, too, it's like what's harder, the mental block or the physical actions that you have to take? I don't know. I think they're both really hard. They're they're like intrinsically tied to each other. Yeah. Where we are in terms of um, the mental block very much dictates what the actions are. Many of us are surviving in spaces, barely surviving in spaces. It's very hard to be visionary and to be imaginative when you are in crisis mode, when you are trying to get basic needs met. I know what it feels like to not have any income and the world is closing in on you. The other day, as like some 
I don't know, like my, like I didn't, I didn't announce it. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it, but I just was like, I'm going to fast for 24 hours, right? Like this shit is happening in Palestine and Sudan and people like kids are catching dirty rainwater to drink because there's no access to rain, electricity, like the people in Palestine are now using bikes to create energy because the electricity is gone, which is something that we should all be doing regardless because it's sustainable. Like, like, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. like, in any event, that's another conversation where we could talk about whatever. And I said to myself, okay, I'm just going to fast for 24 hours. And when I'm telling you, like, I was just like having clear broth and I was drinking water and not like fast and like the hippy dippy, like whatever. Like I'm not, you know, I was like, I'm just not going to eat. I am not going to eat for 24 hours as some, I don't know, psychological exercise because of how bad I am feeling about these multiple genocides that are simultaneously happening, that have been simultaneously happening, but that are now getting international attention. When I tell you at the end, like around hour 18, the way I felt as a human being, because like I work out, I lift weights. So it's really important for me to eat, right? So now going from like eating 100 grams of protein, 200 grams of protein every day, right? Like making these like meal prepping and like having a regimented eating schedule, which unfortunately is a very first world thing to like not eating for 18 hours. My body was in a shambles. My body was like, bitch, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I was so angry. I was so irritable. I was thinking about things that I could not even understand. Like, why am I thinking about this? Yeah. Like, why are these types of, like, violent or, like, pathological things jumping in, like, just like I'm driving and somebody's walking across the street too slowly. And I'm thinking to myself, I should just clip this motherfucker. And I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) because I'm hungry. Because I'm hungry. Because I'm hungry. And I have only been hungry for seven. I've only like, this is the beginning of my hunger after not eating for 17 hours. What does it mean to be hungry as a way of existing? Mm Like, we cannot, like, this is why when people are like, do you condemn Hamas? You are asking the wrong question. Yeah. What does it do to the collective psychology of a group of people to be hungry? Yeah. For 40 years, for 50 years, to have their collective nervous system dysregulated for 75 years. You do not invite someone into a room where there is a feast and they have not eaten in a month and then get mad at their table manners. The thing that's like with this shit, especially when it comes to um, the issue with Palestine, is that if you talk about the illegal invasion of Iraq, right? Hey, the United States, they invaded Iraq. Has anyone ever said anything about condemning ISIS? Has that ever come up not one motherfucking time? It sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly like if you say, hey, the United States shouldn't have invaded uh, Iraq. Do you condemn ISIS? What? Because what are you talking about? It's a smoke screen. Which this is a whole propaganda that has been developed for the Israeli government. Is this whole separate propaganda 
that is just for this one specific place. And then this is how powerful, right? When people talk about where it's like human shields. What is human shields? What is this human? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't, you're talking about humans. Yeah. You're talking about people. You're not talking about shields. You're talking about human beings. And Even you're attaching the a term. Language that we use, it was a TikToker. And like, it was definitely like, it blew my mind for this TikToker to say what she said. She's a PR person. She's I'm a marketing person. I literally get paid to think about what words we use to normalize an idea to you. And to you and like to normalize that idea for the purposes of selling you something or convincing you of something that benefits us. When we call Gaza an open air prison, well, where is a prison? A prison is where we send people people. who have done a bad thing, allegedly. I mean, we all know that prisons in this country are filled with people who have actually not done anything but have a marginalized identity, right? In many cases. But if I'm going to call this like, but let's take the word prison for what it is. So now if I say that there are 2.2 million people living in an open air prison, even if we don't realize it, we are now then associating the inhabitants yep. as criminal. Yep. But if I talk to you about these people as people who were displaced from a home and who are now being held in the confines of a boundary that they did not construct, you would have to call them hostages. You would have to say that there are 2.2 million people, the vast majority of them being the products of people who were refugees who ended up there because they were displaced from another part of Palestine, of historical Palestine, which now is Israel. And they are being held hostage. A prison also makes you believe that at some point the term will end and you will be free to go. These folks are never free to go until Israel says they are free to go. It is normal for school children to be patted down. And while I do not condone, if we must, if we must go here, if I must human motherfuckers who are clearly trying to insult my intelligence, right? If, like, (laughs) if we must do this, I am not saying that I condone the violent death of 1,000, 2,000, whatever the number is that Israel is putting out right now, an exorbitant amount of people who ostensibly, right, like right on the surface, are not armed combatants. But I can certainly understand how the continued dehumanization of a group of people then leads some of those people to believe that this somehow seems like a just response to 75 years of occupation and dehumanization. And that makes a lot of people bristle because the myth of white supremacy, settler colonialism has you believe that you Disrupting a violent system with violence somehow makes you the one that's inhumane. Bitch, what? Well, then that's where the, the, the thing, too, is that, like, they continuously even lie, right? And there's a, you say, here's like, Israel made the desert bloom. Well, it's like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, what? the amount of olive trees that they have destroyed. 
right? The amount of agriculture that they have destroyed, right? And like when they talk about blue, they're just talking about these huge high rises that they can get tourists, tourism fucking money from. You know, and it's like, it's just, it's so, yeah, all of this, where I was saying this, this earlier was that this has made me see like white supremacy is like so much deeper, you know? Because, like, I've just, I've only really experienced it as an American, right? But seeing, and, like, and it's just, like, knowing, oh, well, the United Kingdom, right? Oh, the butcher's apron, sun never sets, blah, blah, blah. But the sun never sets on the U.S. empire. And now we are shepherding colonial aspects of, of what, you know, like, the U.K., you know, started. And and this is yeah like, like I think too it's like when it gets to the amount of of people who just don't recognize humans as humans and how this came to be and the amount of propaganda and just <sighs> this country is very sick yeah this country is is very sick and that is the very that is that is you know I mean I feel like a lot of us don't see humans as humans because a lot of us even if we don't know the language right. A lot of us very much are willing to participate in tribalism. Yeah. This is like this is like the worst sort of example of what tribalism looks like. Right? Like you literally, you know, it's really interesting because I am following I am I am follow like I have a I I am on the Haretz newsletter. I am following pro-Israeli like media and journalism and accounts because you got to be a fool if you like and i think this is something that a lot of times the left gets caught up in we become so resolved right in believing that our way is the right way right that we then ignore the rhetoric and the reasoning and the conversations Mm -hmm. of what's happening on the right of what it is that we are opposing and so then you get into you get into these dialogues, these conversations, and you're not really informed about what folks are saying. There are folks out here who are very much drinking the Kool-Aid around Zionism. It is so indebted that it is interesting to listen to actual Israelis and Zionists like regurgitate these things that I am like, girl, there is documentation. There was a whole documentary, I think that was done in like 2019 or something before like this, like, first of all, I'm 43. I have seen the iteration of the Middle East conflict. I remember peace in the Middle East. I remember that, I'm 43 years old. I remember, I have seen these same images before they were able to be distributed across fiber optic, you know what I mean? Telecommute, telecommunications in 10 seconds. I remember seeing these images on spaces on TV or like we had like print newsletters that were given out in left circles of the same hijab wearing archetype holding her child swathed in 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 white of men pulling limp dead gray babies out of rubble. I remember that. That's why for me too it's actually a little bit like it's so real to watch people who literally are just seeing this for the first time. Yeah. I remember 9-11 and what the world looks like after that. I entered, all of my 20s was under the Bush administration. 
Time I cannot get back. I still grieve for it. This, this, this is what people are, 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 are experiencing. There are those of us who are Gen Xers and older millennials, Xennials, who are like, we are, we are tired, y'all, because we are like, we have been living this on loop for 20-something years. We came out of our youth and into adulthood. I did a fundraiser for Sudan called Strut for Sudan in Brooklyn at a, a small shop called Harriet's by, I mean, called, um, it was called, shit, it was called something by Harriet's or Harriet something in Brooklyn, like had all these women wearing independent designers, face made up, you know what I mean? With the dots, like the women in, 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 in Northern Africa and in Sudan. And we literally raised money and gave it to a U.S.-based organization run by a woman named Reverend Gloria Hammond. She's still around. I still follow her. I've not talked to her in, I don't know, 15 years. But I still see what she's doing. I did this back 15 years ago. I know it's 15 years ago because it was before I had my son. He's 15 years old. That's how I qualify time with kids. <laughs> Who was I pregnant with? Who was born? I need another marker right here. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was six months before I got pregnant with Thomas. 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. I did a back when we had MySpace. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. Yeah. There was nothing. I was trying to pull up an old flyer to show people, and I realized I can't get into my MySpace account, so I'm not going to be able to get it. Right? 15 years ago, I was I was doing a fundraiser for Sudan. These things have been happening. They've been happening. And for some of us, we've had to live through many different iterations of it. And somebody in the comments says like this, the weight of this will crush you. Yes, some of us are feeling like flattened versions of ourselves because I have lived my whole fucking adulthood. So I get why some people are mad at boomers because for some of us, we have never known a time of any kind of financial abundance. I don't know if I will ever be able to buy a house. That is more and more of a re Harriet's alter ego. Yes. Uh, come on. Uh. Harriet's alter ego. We did that. Run by Ngozi Odita. Now I remember her name. Like some of us, like the reality is that for some of us, we are, we, we just will not access this time of when America was great. Hmm. For some of us, America has been shitty for a good, long while. And we are all just trying to survive some different iteration of shittiness. And so for me, I feel like, are we at, because for me, I think the breaking point is that the experimentation of America, I think that a lot of us don't have historical context. We do not understand that America is a social experiment. It is a social and political experiment. Is the, and we are also very young by civilization, civilization standpoint. We are like petulant teens. If you think about it from a civilization standpoint. This is when people are like, oh, slavery happened a long time ago. Nigga, no, it didn't. Generationally, <laughs> it happened four generations ago. Slavery is still very much present in this country. So is the experiment, the political experiment, the social experiment as it exists now in America over? Because to me, that is critical in how we move forward towards equity. 
the last hegemony that is America, the, the, the expansion of empire that is America needs to end. It must be dismantled. It has to happen. That is the fulcrum. That is the, the turning point. And I am saying that as an alleged American. No, that's like, I, uh, I mean, it might have been two weeks ago. I called my parents and I asked them, how do you leave a country? I was like, like y'all left Jamaica. How do I, how do I get the fuck up out of here? How do I leave this place? Cause I don't want to be here. And they were like, no, you need, you know, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't just fucking get up and leave. You know what I'm saying? You got to make it work, right? You got to make it work. But that's the thing is like that's and that's that's the real I don't know wait. I'm trying and like to you said, I yeah. <laughs> like you said it earlier. I am trying not to be living in this country full time. That there's a manner of consi- of complicity. There's a man, you know. There's a there's 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 a you know there's some semblance of complicity on 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 Americans, you know, and. And and that's and that's really like I think it's like in my head, you know, especially too, where it's like the fastest way for Palestinians to receive liberation, the fastest way for Afghans to have a chance to have their actual their country back, the 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 chance the best chance to rebuild Iraq, the best chance for peace amongst so many conflicts that have gone on that that are being fostered even as we speak. Taiwan and you know like trying to arm a island <laughs> of China against itself right like out of all of these things the like I I I vehemently believe the fastest way to 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 be able to solve these issues is to is to dismantle this United States government it is to make a new society that isn't engaged in that isn't reliant reliant upon blood but I think before we do that, we have to, here I go, back to my inner hippie, because society is only a reflection of what we value. And then the execution of how we, of how we bring that society forth is predicated on how we, what what are our actions? Do our actions align with what we say we value? Yeah. I think we need to go through, and if I can call on the, because again, I'm acknowledging my own limitations, right? When you think about the Enlightenment period, when you think about the Renaissance, and I'm using that because that's what I know, but I also know that there are other examples of this that are not rooted in like Eurocentric, Yeah. you know, ideology but let's go with that because that's what a lot of us have been force fed in u.s public education system so that's what we know we need to go through another period of enlightenment we need to be thinking about what it looks like for us to value this idea of renaissance there needs to actually like public discourse around who are we as human beings what does it mean to be human how do we redefine what humanity is? Because I got to tell you, the examples of humanity we got right now suck dick. It's awful. Like, it's dog shit. Right. That has to happen first. I think a lot of us want to put the horse before the cart. 
Let's dismantle it and replace it. I don't trust a lot of you niggas to replace. Yeah, anything. no. Which that's where it's like, like how I, I think you. Because that's where it's like it where it's like because like how I think of things. Because it's like because I mean like I was in the military. I'm done. I'm done with that shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> what what it looks like what it could look like is. Uh, what any peaceful forming of government, which it has happened in this world, but like, just to say, a new constitutional convention, right? A new way to organize our society, you know? Because like this doesn't like it would, you know, this is where too is like if you have an understanding of capital, it's like where you know the violence, the oppression, it'll be brought to your doorstep, but like. We, you know, like you were saying, that enlightenment is like we are deciding to live this way. We could decide not to. We could come up with other forms, other ways of development. But at first we get like, I mean, and this is where to give the American example of having a bunch of rich white dudes saying, this isn't really working for us. We want to do something else. We have the way more collective power to say this capitalism obviously isn't working for us. We can do something else. What does that look like? What are the goals? You know, and this is where it's like just based off of human needs is a great start. Food, water, you know, housing, healthcare, education, and this way, leisure, art, music, right? Like that, all of those things guaranteed provided for and the people who are engaging in the that facilitation they are taking care of you know off the bat this is like a good starting place but those things need to be developed and you know like obviously getting a whole lot more fucking detail but yeah at the end of the day like i i you know i agree with like 100 what you're saying and this is where too of like where it's like how do you get all these different you know or groups and organizations and 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 different sects of left ideology how do you actually get them moving in the same in the same co- coordinated fashion to actually start bringing something else to 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 the public here you know and like that's i don't know that's where like i kind of you know kind of get lost of like well what do we do what do i do you know and there's like so much pressure happens, yeah like the answer is rooted in some shit that we have been taught to minimize that has actually in many ways been parodied and satired right when we say hippie we actually saying it with a little bit of facetiousness right because we think of the hippies in a lot of ways like collectively right we think of hippies right we've used we now have turned that word into mean people who are frivolous and blindsided right and 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 ridiculous right so but the hippie answer would be that in order for that to happen we also have to think about the divinity of us individually and look at each other as mirrors of that I have to say that my and I have an inherent right to have a quality of life, right, that feels good for me. And then therefore then believe that other people have a quality of life that feels good to them. And that if we make a collective agreement, though, that that is then not predicated on the destruction of another group of people. Right. Like, let's just talk about like, let's let's move the conversation to like the, the national conversation and discourse that we're having around like gender. Like how many people get mad when a motherfucker says, actually I'm they, them. Right. We put all of these energy into like trying to malign somebody who says, I actually just don't believe in the binary of gender expression. 
And we have gone down these rabbit holes that feels like you can you cannot ever get out of them. People who are so tied to this narrative of just letting a motherfucker exist in a way that literally is not bothering you. It is not harming you. It does not have a negative impact on your life or the life of your family. People are willing to die on this hill of maligning other people because we can't even just like our, our, we don't have a healthy sense of our own internal humanity. If we're real, if we really think about it, we don't have good self-esteem. And I'm not talking about like, do I feel like I look good in my clothes? These kind of like superficial ways. But like this idea that like, I don't have to toil to be able to exist in this world. That I can be a part of a group of people of varying identities and and experiences and complexions, right? And still create lives that I think um, one of the one of the one of your commenters here in, in, in chat was saying like this doesn't like this idea is not going to be easy. It does not mean that we're not going to have to continue to solve problems. It doesn't mean that it's going to be to to be a utopia. It just means that we have to believe in it enough to not give up on it. That we have to see the intrinsic like uh, value of ourselves and each other. I, I think it's like reflective in like the work that you do, right? Is that like that's <laughs> you, like that is that the the part of it is that if you do, and this is where it has to be with people you trust, and you know, um, but if you you give up, if you release a little bit of your you know clenching on to like every little thing that you have, right? You release a little bit, rely on others. Others rely on you. You know, there's just, and like this for a simple thing, power numbers, right? That's another saying that's like, it tips us off, right? To the true answer. But we, we never really <laughs> kind of like incorporate that in our lives. But it's like, that's what, I mean, that's what being human is, yeah? Is like recognizing humanity, not just thinking like, I am. The no, I'm the only sim, and everybody else is just, you know, like some other, you know, just computer generated thing that like you get to use up. Yeah, we say main character energy like it's a good thing. Main character energy is what got out, a lot of us out here in the chokehold. Yeah, that. we're like, sufferers I'm, I'm of the main character, and everybody yeah. else around me is a is a what is it called? What do they call it now on TikTok? A non playable, a non yeah, the NPC, non playable character, non playable yeah. character, yep. mm -hmm. and literally spawned a whole genre <laughs> of people online pretending to be non. Anyways, yeah. let me not go down that rabbit hole. No, I've anyway. seen it, and I'm like, like <laughs> yo, we're <laughs> okay. Thank yeah, you, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm young. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yo, we have definitely entered into Black Mirror territory. This oh, shit yeah. is so fucking for real right We got now. the robot police dogs. <laughs> got it all. It's just like me sitting here talking to you, rocking back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pizza, you, yum. You, Marcus. Yum, yum, Marcus. <laughs> the fuck? Anyways, like, I think, you know, I think to what you speak to, right? If you think about the right, right? Because you talked about the Constitutional Convention people in the chat are buzzing, right? And somebody makes a great point that the person who's the most organized wins and the left is not known for being organized. And you know why? 
because we talk about these things broadly, right? Humanity, divine, you know, like your divine presence. And the right is talking about fucking money. And let me tell you something. They are not like, yes, there is, there is the, the, there, there is the social contract, right? And construct of white supremacy that keeps them participating. But it's also about this idea that they have a very, they have a very specific shared goal. So that anytime, like you think a lot of these motherfuckers like Trump or don't think that he's a lunatic or whatever, but they're not going to break. The vast majority of them are not going to break party lines because they understand that what they are working towards is not who makes you feel good, not what is just, not what is equal, not what is morally, you know, not what is uh, like, you know, just like uh, rejecting what is morally reprehensible. They want to continue to maintain and expand a system of power. And they do not lose sight of that. And anybody who steps out of line, they will fucking consume. And the left has not operated in that way. We don't even all know what it is we're working towards. That motherfuckers got clarity. They have clarity. They know what they are working towards. They know what they're working towards. And so they will work towards it. They will organize themselves appropriately. They are maintaining a system that benefits them. So for them, yes, this is about life or death because this has become their life. Anything in opposition to that feels like you are literally threatening them with death and therefore they will engage you as such. And this is just have no problem dropping bombs on whole groups of people. Like, let's be very clear here. Do you think they are not seeing the same images? And I imagine that many of them on a human level are probably moved. They're not moved enough, though, to say that I am willing to give up the social construct that allows me to have these things. And so they dehumanize other people because they themselves are now complicit in their own inhumanity. They themselves have become lesser human beings. It's very easy then to treat you as a lesser human being. They must strike down your humanness because they need no reminders that they are human. They have literally created coping mechanisms. I mean, like, there's a part of me that's like, yes, keep speaking out, keep sharing the videos, keep doing the protests, keep putting the pressure on. But there is a reason that Biden is continuing the fallacy that he's, he's continuing. He is maintaining a power structure So like, they're gonna just they're gonna they're gonna collectively gaslight all of us, but they see it. They know that we see it. They kind of don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. Like in 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 as, as it is relative to the benefits and the power structure that gives them those that renders those benefits, they do not care. They do not care. They are very well that children are dying. They are telling you in no uncertain terms, children deserve to die so that we get the things that we get. Be clear about it. That's the other thing. The left keep trying to give people a benefit of the doubt. We keep speaking in these ways that I think sometimes 
don't do us a service, they like they don't care as it relates to this system of power. And they are absolutely, when we're like, do 12,000 people deserve to die? They're telling you yes. And until you confront that truth, then whatever you are crafting, the way in which you craft a strategy to organize around empire is always going to be like, it's always going to be like, I don't know, it's going to be the wrong thing because you're not looking at this through the lens by which it needs to be looked at. The government is willing to kill 12,000 people. But also, like, let's be historical, y'all. I'm actually shocked at a lot of people who are actually shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Word. I, and that's where it's like, I... It's kind of this thing where it's... it's this, I don't... It, it, where there's like another... It needs like another word for it, right? Because it's not surprising, maybe. Right? Like the idea that the United States would send half its naval fleet to protect Israel doing a genocide and then just keep continually spewing out lie after lie after lie. I don't I don't know that it's like shocking or it's not surprising. But seeing it happen, you know, seeing that this is what it is, and 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 not and like not even experiencing it, right? I'm not in. I'm not. You know, like we're not experienced. But see, even seeing this shit, and how callous, and how bloodthirsty, right? The lesser evil is, like, because it, like it's almost oh well. Obama just continued the wars. You know, and he used drones, so there's less American blood. Die. You know, so it, you know, it was lesser evil. Oh, you see, he yeah. drone strike the wedding instead of sending in the troops to kill everybody in the wedding. It's the lesser evil. With this, with this, and like in a lot of ways too, of like actions under Trump set some things in motion. But this has been going on for 75 years. Israel's is a, a white supremacist, at least Zionist politics in Israel is a white supremacist goal that is like in control and doing ethnic cleansing as we speak. And you've got the lesser evil sending almost half of the operational United States naval fleet to protect the genocide. To protect Israel in their actions. I think that's something that we need to just recognize. There is no lesser evil when it comes to the American presidency and foreign policy. As far as anybody knows, it's been the same president for 40 years, 50, 100, 200. It's just the way that America acts when it deals with other countries. So domestically it might seem like there's a lesser evil there really isn't there's also you know deep state apparatus the same people who've been there for decades making the same kinds of decisions they've been making forever yeah my opinion no and where 
Henry Henry Kissinger just he turned a hundred this past May, I think it was. Jesus. And he had this little party, a little hundredth birthday party. And one of the guests was the current Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, whose dad worked for Kissinger. See? He grew up, you know what I'm saying? Like, this motherfucker, he said he looks at Kissinger as an uncle. Gross. Like, it's, it's like, this, like that's the deep state, yeah? Like, when people, t- it's not no, some QAnon shit. Right. It's like a, like a familiar ideology that gets passed down of American white supremacy. Yeah. Like, down to Uncle Kissinger, right? And I don't know, you know. As far as, like, I know chat's going off about the Constitutional Convention, and it's like, when you going start going into, you're going to have to deduce, you still utilize the state structure. You know, I'm not talking about that. The only reason I say Constitutional Convention is because Americans recognize what that, you know, what that is. But it's like, literally, we need to do away with the apparatus that has, like, these United States as it is. Like, because, like, like, people in Guam and Puerto Rico... Hawaii, right? People should be able to decide, like, for, for, for ter- especially in territories that are, like, not <laughs> been even, like, conquered recently, not actual voting members, U.S. Virgin Islands. These people should have a decision on, on sovereignty, yeah? There should be a sovereignty issue, right? All of the tribal nations, sovereignty. And then whatever's fucking left, we got to figure that shit out. But at the end of the day, like take the utilizing... rest of the Swiss cheese and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day too, because like it's 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 you know, yeah, I believe in land back. I I believe in that. I believe there's a way to do it, right? And it's not oh god, it's American genocide by the natives. Oh, like come on, like that's that's absurd, right? It is absurd, but how many of for a lot of people it is not. And yeah. the left will have to come to understand that that is the case. I am yeah, listening word, to word. people, to me, say the, the most off-base things. So I forget the name of the lady who founded and I think runs, uh, what is it, Code Pink, which I, I don't know a lot about the organization. Um, I've heard that it's very problematic. I think anything run by, like, like a white lady probably is going to be problematic in a lot of ways, right? Um, but... She's outside. She's got one very low tech, just eight, like 11 by 17 sign written in landscape that says um, demand ceasefire now or something like that. She is literally like watching this made me my anxiety. My nervous system is like on fire watching this. She is surrounded by women, I want to say this, I want to be very clear. She is surrounded by women who have the Israeli flag tied around their necks, right? And they are saying, I hope that you are raped alive. I hope that someone cuts your what? stomach open and takes the fetus out and throws it into a fire and can smell it. I'm, I'm quoting this because I, 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 I listened to it so much. I needed to understand what was being said. Yeah, we had Code Pink on our show recently. 
like she, but there was one thing that she said that was very interesting. And I really wish that Medea could have, would have responded to it. She said, well, and this is a function of white supremacy, right? This deflection, right? When someone is legitimately questioning you about something, giving attribution, giving you historical context, there's this weird thing that people will engage in where they find some other thing that they think is worse or that is parallel and they present that and engage in whataboutism. She said, well, didn't the, Na didn't the Native Americans live here first? Didn't the Native Americans live here first? And if they wanted their land back, would you give it back? And Medea didn't say anything. And I wanted her so badly to be like, yes, yes. The U.S. should be giving the land back. We don't have 400 years with y'all motherfuckers. And look at where we are now. I don't think giving the land back to the indigenous people is the worst idea. <laughs> and the, like, and this is where the thing is too, is especially is like. When... She's predicating that on this belief, right? Yeah. It goes even deeper. That there's this belief that if we give the land back to the natives, that we're all going to be in some worse situation than we are right now. That somehow, the, the, like the indigenous folks are primitive, right? Because we also have to understand that for Zionists and for settler colonial projects like them, right, historically and presently, there is this idea that we came in and colonized something that was primitive. We have settled this space. That whoever here, whoever was here before was somehow deficient and didn't deserve this land. And now would manifest destiny, right? <laughs> Cause that's what this is. This is all some different version of manifest destiny. Israel is some different version of manifest destiny. It's a it's America Junior in so many ways. In so many ways. So <sighs> we actually We've gone on for quite a while. Yeah. And just like the last time, I had a whole set of questions and we didn't get to them. I still want to get to them if you have the time. <laughs> I had a whole set of ratchet questions too. I'm here, I'm always here for the ratchet girl. Okay. Ratchet. We have a rapid fire ratchet question. Ra we'll rapid have fire ratchet. I love it. <laughs> Let's do rapid fire ratchet first. I want to get into just promoting you a little bit more, talking about Mama Tanya's Kitchen and you eating Bobby Flay's chicken. Okay. How did that happen? Bobby Flay shocked the shit out of me. He really did. I mean, like, you know, I'm I'm a Virgo. So we big on, like, research. We don't ever want to go nowhere and look stupid. It's like the worst thing that can happen. So whenever I'm getting ready to engage in anything, I'm always doing the research. Never eaten at any of Bobby Flay's restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um but like I have, you know, like I, I looked at like, you know, his signature dish was this like, this like, I, I don't know, some sort of like, um, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? What's that region? What's the what's the term of the region for people who are like in New Mexico and in Arizona, right? And that that mm -hmm. like and like have like Mexican food, you know, like this Tex-Mex, Tex right? yeah, Southwestern. That's right. it. I got mm -hmm. there. It took me, it took the ADHD a minute, but there it was. I walked it through. So, like, his signature dish is like this southwestern, you know, like dish that he does, and like that he, you know, he does a great chicken and waffles. And I'm gonna be honest, my own bias, 
I am from, I am the, I am the product of a black Southern family. Mm-hmm. Nobody fries chicken like black Southern people, period. Other Southern people can come close, but don't nobody fry chicken like black Southern people. Okay. Then I do beat Bobby Flay. I don't know if anybody knows the setup of this show. So it is very, it is, thank you. See, I'm, y'all comment section, some of y'all be hitting it. Some of y'all I'll be looking at like, <laughs> in any event. So, so like, I'm like, okay, so I'm the way this, the show is set up is that you come in, if you are like a second or a third round judge, you do the show blind. You do not get to see the show recorded. They have mm. you in a green room sitting somewhere. You can smell the food. You can sometimes hear the 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 crowd going wild. And the answer, Luna, is yes, you do marinate chicken and buttermilk. And we can get into that later if you want. Mm. Around the, the, the chemistry of why and why I think that that's, that's a solid way um, in the way that I do it. I also marinate pork chops and buttermilk as well. But in any event, so... I know, like, and you, they don't tell you the theme until you're getting ready to go down to the tasting room. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited. So what happens in the beginning is that two chefs square off, right? So Chef A, Chef B, they square off. Whichever chef wins gets to challenge Bobby. And they get to tell Bobby what the signature dish is going to be so that they kind of have a heads up. Whoever okay. the co-hosts are, they're the ones that that chef is cooking on behalf of because they are the people who want to beat Bobby Flay, right? So Chef Alex Guarnaschelli hosts sometimes. Chef Tanya Holland, right? They bring in like either celebrities or celebrity chefs or people of note, right? Mm -hmm. And they come in and they want to beat Bobby Flay. And then these two chefs go head to head and whichever chef wins is the one that is going to be the warrior for the, the celebrity guests who are hosting that day. Okay. And so they get the leverage by being like, okay, well, the theme is blah, 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 blah. Right? So I get there one day and the theme is chicken and waffles. And I'm like, okay, I, I, and we, we find out which chef it is that's going up against them. And Bobby is going up against this young black person. And I'm like, fuck this. I know it. I know we going, this is it. This this our time to shine. <laughs> the food and there is this chicken that is fried so beautifully. It is so crispy. It is so crunchy that it definitely takes tastes like Aunt Loretta with the arm flap mm-hmm. from the from the from the Seven Day Baptist Church fried that chicken. <laughs> yes. You don't know who fried what. You just going based on taste. We mm-hmm. unanimously pick this chicken. And when they get ready to announce it, I'm like, I know my homeboy with the glasses who look like a black version of Dexter's laboratory. I know he the one that did it. <laughs> it was fucking Bobby Flay. I mean, he's he, he don't you don't get there for nothing, right? I'ma be I'ma say a thing that hopefully won't come and backfire on you <laughs> later. I don't believe that to be patently true. I don't believe that you just get to be a celebrity chef because you no. are a cook. Wait, and I, I, I hear that. I hear that. But a lot but, of the celebrity chef space is dominated by mediocre white men who cook mediocre food for white palates. Lots of fucking butter, lots of fucking dairy, lots of fucking cheese, unseasoned cuts of beef. <laughs> That's, and I agree. I agree. Now that's not 
all across the board. I do but believe no. that Bobby Flay, I've had enough of his food, he right? Cook. That he is a he is a an above average chef. He he, you know, he he is one of those chefs that he's you know he's got that glow you know what i mean like, <laughs> that glow, right another another movie reference this is my mind y'all this is how it works shout out to anybody who knows what i just referenced that's all. <laughs> um, you know when bobby says who's the master everybody says show enough you know what i mean like, <laughs> that one bobby, I know. <laughs> really, bobby really throws down yeah. like and i was shocked i was shocked I was shocked. I was very shocked. Someone said, do you have a suggestion or cookbook for something for us lowly vegans? First of all, motherfucker, y'all vegans are not lowly. Cut it out. I think that vegan chefs are some of the most talented chefs because they don't get to just rest on their laurels of knowing that the human palate is very much stimulated by like fat and salt. Right. Like mm. if you are a vegan chef and you are making good vegan food, you are in, especially in this food system that gives large subsidies to dairy, to, to meat, to like, you know what I mean? Genetically engineered grains. You are a fucking alchemist. OK, I would um, I would I actually collect cookbooks. The vast majority of them I'm not read. I skim them sometimes. But I actually one of the things that I do. Like that I want to be my legacy is that when I pass on my shit to my kids, that not hopefully I'm able to like not die and be in debt and leave that to them to have to manage. But also I want to have a very full cookbook library <laughs> that maybe gets stored somewhere. No, seriously, because I believe that cookbooks are um are reflections of our food pathways and where we are in that in that time in that society. So I don't know if you've heard of uh, uh, Brian Terry. He is a chef who is vegan um, and does a lot of like vegan Southern cuisine and styled stuff. Um, he is uh, what he calls uh, I think it's called Sweet Potato Soul or Vegan Soul. He is that cookbook. But look up Brian Terry. He's got a bunch of different cookbooks. They're all vegan. There mm -hmm. is another young woman. Hold on one second. I'm actually going to grab the cookbook for you because I don't remember the name. Okay. Fire up that next ratchet, rap, rapid ratchet question. Will do. Will do. I don't know if this counts as rapid, though. You know, <laughs> you're, you're like you're during the rapid fire. You're not you're like, oh, one second. I'm going to go grab the book. You know, that. Uh, we'll allow it, but I'm just saying this is not <laughs> technically rapid fire. Also, can I say this too? Uh huh. I don't want to try vegan vegan food. Well, say it's like I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I don't want to try the imitation, right? Like I want to just like, yeah, oh hey, this is it. this is just a food. This is just a good meal that's right. got this shit. I don't want like, oh hey, you want some vegan chicken nuggets? Like no. I don't. So I, don't I actually miss I misattributed. So Sweet Potato Soul is actually by Janae Clay, uh, Claiborne, right? This super cute young black woman who does a hundred easy vegan recipes. This is a great accessible. Uh, uh, and so y'all gotta know also too when y'all ask me for recommendations, I am unapologetically like black centered. And I think that that is just as normal as white folks who are white centered. So a lot of my shit comes through that lens, right? Sure. So, Except for Bobby Flay. 
Right, so gen- <laughs> in my head. That's a joke. And I'm like, I'm my boyfriend. Okay, I'm unapologetic about that. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to down with the imaginary swirl. The yeah. Okay, <laughs> if I was going to date a white man, then Bobby is probably the right kind of white man to date for me. That's so it. in any event, Janae Clip, uh, Cl- Claiborne has this book called Sweet Potato Soul. Brian Terry, whose cookbook I lent out some time ago, which is why I don't lend out books and I never got it back. I cannot remember the name of it, but I remember his name. And he has an expansive cookbook collection. Look him up. This is also one that I found like in a Barnes and Nobles from America's Test Kitchen. I mm-hmm. subscribe to America's Test Kitchen. They mm-hmm. are an amazing. I do. I pay for it. I pay for the subscription to America's Test Kitchen because I'm very much interested in the science of cooking. And I would rather somebody else test some shit that I didn't have to pay for and then give me the answer and let yep. me try it. And that's what America's Test Kitchen does. They are literally a probably a multi-million dollar company that literally just puts out all of the all of this content right including cookbooks different workshops you know they have a website um i think that at one point they were print and then we all moved to digital and so you can subscribe a lot of this stuff is behind a paywall but it's not it's not hefty if you think mm-hmm. if you like cooking then it's worth it so american okay. america's touch test kitchen is all about like how do you make the best fried chicken you know, mm-hmm. we did pies five different ways. And here's what we found. For me, as a cook, as a chef, it is a good investment, right? Nice. And if you are a serious home chef, I would say that it is a good investment. Anyways, they did this book. They do these. They can get, you know, they have the money to produce these really well done. Ooh. Comprehensive. This book is probably 500 pages. This is a manual. The complete plant-based cookbook. Nice. As someone who was not a vegan, but who was very much interested in plant-based cooking, like you said, Marcus, I don't want no impossible and beyond. I don't want no shit that has me looking at it being like, but this tastes just like beef. And in order for it to taste just like beef, you've had to put all of this soy and all of these different chemicals, and it's filled with lots of sugar. Like if I'm going to eat a meal that is free of meats and dairy, I want to be able to make these plants and all the other stuff shine. I don't want it to try to be a plant. Like, I don't want it to be a non-meat version of meat. Right. Yeah. So this is a really great book to do that. And so on days, because we are a family that is trying to move towards consuming less meat and consuming less dairy, I think whether you want to be a vegan or not, I think there is science that needs to be explored that the American diet and our obsession with consuming meat and dairy at every single meal, I do Mm -hmm. not believe has had a physiological and neurological positive effect on us. I do not believe that human beings need meat three times a day, every day. I think the ecological impact of that is quite obvious. Right. We talk about climate change and we don't talk enough about how much climate change is driven by the Western diet and what it demands. Exactly. All right. Are we ready to get ratchet? Yes. Yes. Okay. Is Jada just trying to sell a book? No. I mean, yes, but I don't think she's just trying to sell a book. Uh, you can expand uh, on that a little. <laughs> so, you say expand on it a little bit. 
Jesus. I think there's a lot of it to stand on because while the example, while the example is um, seems fairly frivolous and superficial, the reason that so many people, specifically so many black people, because I don't think white people care about this. <laughs> they not paying attention, but <laughs> this 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 is like black celebrity shit, I think. Um, and I think that there is a deeper conversation about the misogynoir. And for anyone who may not um, know what that term means, it is basically this idea that it's misogyny, but misogyny directed specifically at black non-male bodies. Um, and so I think people are mad at Jada because she is out here, her, and, and in conjunction with Will, because there's consent with him in terms of defying these gender roles um, around uh, their marriage. I think they're also very angry that a black woman would be so like, I feel like if Jada was doing this as a white woman, are there white people who would be like, who would balk at this? Yes, because she's also defying some ideas that we have around gender roles. She is defying some ideas that we have around femininity, right? She is, she is very unapologetically and very directly questioning what it looks like to participate in the union of marriage and the traditional norms of what that looks like for women. But I also think more broadly, we'd be willing to accept it because it was coming from a white woman. I think that black women are not allowed the type of um, freedoms or whimsy or 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 radical thought around these things, right? Because again, it comes back to those intersections that we just spent three hours talking about. And so right. I think you know, one would be like, but this is not, you just said this black people shit, like white people are not talking about it right, because we all, we all internalize this. Some of the most anti-black people I know are black people. That is the function of anti-blackness. <laughs> it's not just something that helps white people to dehumanize black people or other non-black people to dehumanize black people. It also gets black people to be complicit with um with their own dehumanization by very much internalizing and then perpetuating that and it makes me bristle when people are like jada did the impossible made me empathize with will why will is a grown-ass man will is a grown-ass rich able-bodied man we spend all this time talking about all of the ways in which men can lead and all of the ways in which rich men are able to access all these things. You mean to tell me that an over six foot, not dark skinned, handsome, charming, multi-talented, rich black man couldn't get the fuck up and leave a marriage he didn't want to be in and have 10 bitches waiting in the wing ready to replace Jada? Be fucking for real, y'all. You sympathize with Will because you find women like Jada scary. So now you must turn Will into a simp. The very thing that y'all be sitting around here saying is the worst thing for a man to be, which is a simp. And let's get into what a simp is. A man who would put the comfort of a woman before his own. 
a man who would willingly take the lead of his female or non-male counterpart, a man who would concede to the wisdom of his partner, a man who believes in being gentle with a non-male person, that's a simp. We gonna we gonna Excellent. we gonna we gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna you know uh, empathize with a man who has literally no barriers to get out of a marriage if he wanted to, and even if you try to make it about the money, it's it's it's, it's it would be it would be very you know like in terms of the financial fallout of 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 being in a in a like in a divorce like both these people are real rich enough that nobody's gonna leave that marriage poor and i don't know whether or not to prenup or anything like that like nobody's leaving that marriage broken but he could afford to divorce jada speaking of speaking of prenup my my prenup for the show was i need to be able to watch the ohio state game at four and i'd warned m toussaint right i said it you we're creeping me. up on it. We are creeping okay. up on it. Three questions. Three questions. Rapid fire. I handle them. Um, let's see. Drake, Kendrick, or J. Cole? <laughs> it's a no for all of them. No. If I really know, if I'm being honest, like it's going to be Kendrick. It's going to be Kendrick. Okay. That's fair. Uh, is Young Thug going away for a very long time in his Rico case? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he has not helped himself either. So. Are you set to buy a new flute album? Oh, man. Damn, man. You know, I, I'm i really reticent to, like, shade that. Because, I like, Andre 3000 for me... Is one of those things where it's like it defies logic. Like it does not matter what you say outside of him engaging in like some sort of egregious like violence against mm-hmm. women and children. I'm that's my man, and I'm gonna stick beside him. Like so, yeah. I already listen. I listened to like three or four tracks yesterday morning. It's good. I like it. It's it I mean, that's where it's like he's just doing something different, and that's where it's like let an artist be an artist, right? Let an artist right. be an artist. He's making his art and how he feels it now. And it's good. It's good shit. Listen to the album. Mm-hmm. Listen to the flute album made by one of the greatest hip-hop artists. And there ain't no hip-hop on it. Just he, It's him and his jazz flute. Oh, no, the album is it. very real, honey. You can yeah. go on Apple Music and Spotify. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super real. Yesterday morning. It's good. And I think that, again... You people like, why are you always playing the race card? Because the race card is always playing me, baby. This is America where everything is motherfucking racialized, including the foundation <laughs> of this country. So I will race, I will call a thing a thing. Um, I think it's very important for black artists to be artists. I think it's very, particularly when art, you know, like American pop culture is black urban culture. And some of y'all may find that very uncomfortable to sit with, but it's the truth. Like we can, the case for that can very much objectively be made. Um, even things that have now become very white, 
right? Country, like country, country music, music, yeah. And rock and roll. Yeah. These are all foundationally black music creations, right? And so the reality though is that black people in artistry have very much just been reduced down to consumption for white folks. And so I think that it is very important for us, right, in our own individual and collective liberation, and liberation comes in all ways. It's not just like, how do we get free and get like healthcare and all that stuff? That's really important. But liberation is also in our ability to be able to show up in society as a multiplicitous human beings and not have that be questioned, Yeah. right? When certain types of white artists start to pivot towards different genres or do different things, I don't think that that is generally thought at thought of as necessarily um, a bad thing because we look at that person and white people get to have more humanity than people who are not white. And we say, well, that person's an artist. So they are exploring their artistic endeavors. Now we could eat now as a society, we can get together and either support that shit or we can panic. And we certainly have examples of white artists who decided to do something different. And society was like, nah, nigga, we don't, we don't like that. Right. But the ability to be able to do it is not necessarily questioned. I think that same thing needs like all, like that happens for all artists, regardless of your ethnicity, of your race, of your social class. You should have the ability, like Andre 3000 is 50. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I'm sure he can tear it down. He can still write a 16 stellar bars, but also it's kind of like, mm, do we, like we might want to expand beyond being a 50 year old rapper, right? There's yeah. like, I can appreciate, which, yeah, I can appreciate Hey Nah, which is like still my favorite fucking song of his. And I will go full fledged Rebecca when Hey Now comes on. I don't <laughs> fuck where I am. I got the white girl hair swing. <laughs> cannot tell me nothing about that song, right? But also, I enjoy the privilege, and it is a privilege to watch another human being share their evolution, their growth, the stretching of their imagination with me. And so, yes, I absolutely am going to give that flute jazz fusion album a chance because I want to be able in this way to receive the gift of a human being that I've been able to admire in this genre, share another piece of themselves with me. We also have to shy away from looking at this kind of stuff solely through the lens of being a consumer, right? To consume something. How do we show up to these spaces as, as, as experiential, right? I'm experiencing a thing, right? And maybe it does make me a little uncomfortable. Maybe I got to listen to it two times and sit in it because maybe I also have not been exposed to this. Right. And so right. the knee jerk reaction shouldn't be to balk and reject it. The knee jerk reaction should be like, let me experience this a couple times and let it sit on my body and in my heart. And then I can make a determination around, does this shape me? Does this push me to some other boundary that I myself have not yet explored? We also have to see artists in some ways as, as what's the word? Griots right right as as storytellers mm -hmm. right as 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 bringers right and 
and and our experiencing that is also the ability to participate in something that may enrich us and make us better right or make us question or more thoughtful or more self-aware or more questioning or just give us exposure to something that we never thought that we might enjoy i don't listen to a lot of flute and jazz mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. might find out i like this shit and that might then open me up to finding other flute players and then before you know it i got a whole motherfucking flute playlist my ass at 43 might decide to pick a flute up and start taking some digital flute, uh digital flute uh, uh uh lessons and now i'm doing some sort of weird ass flute fusion see how that one that one mm-hmm. thing created a ripple or a spiral that now helped to shape me as a human being Indeed. we've got to stop experiencing all of these things through the lens of capitalism agreed which I got to go experience some capitalism at the sports bar. Thank you so much for your time, Tanya. Thank you so much for your time, Marcus. This is excellent as always. All right. This has been This is Revolution, and we are out.